Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is the perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. There's nothing left for us to do Find the strength to see this through Hello folks, and thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by coming to www.com. PatriotJournalist.com. Tonight we'll have a special guest from the Green Party who is running for the Senate in Ohio against Rob Portman, uh, which uh, just got off uh, Facebook, getting some grief uh, from some folks uh, for that. Uh, so, But that's okay. Uh, that's one of the things that happens when you open your mind, and in my case, open my show uh, to the alternative parties uh, here on Bard's Logic. If uh, so, so be it. I think they're really close-minded uh, on that uh, when they, you know, want to make their denigrations. But, hey, that's how it goes. Uh, unfortunately, folks, uh, much of America, uh, and it's a shrinking America, that are continually reliant on the R's and the D's. Uh, of course, we'll be uh, interviewing our guest tonight, and that is uh, Joe. And I don't want to mispronounce his name, so we'll let him do it when he gets on here. I believe it's uh, the mayor, but we'll let uh, him do that. And so we'll be interviewing him tonight as well. Well, of course, we'll be talking about uh, the election results. We'll be talking about also the uh, upcoming supposed broker or contest convention, all that uh, things of that nature. And, of course, we're going to talk about the duopoly and the two-party system and what our guest thinks about that. And so I believe – uh, we have Joe on the line. Let me check this. we got uh, multiple callers in. If you'd like to chime in, just give us a call at 347-945-7428. And I think uh, this uh, 419 is Joe. Oh, got in the wrong. Yes. It just slipped. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for calling to the show. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing, Robert? Great, great. It's great to have you on. Yeah, I was, uh, as I said, uh, I was on Facebook earlier and uh, – and I've seen uh, that, you know, through some of the interviews you did, and I will supply you with the link to tonight's show if you like, uh, so you can uh, have the podcast of it and do with it what you, what you may. Uh, but I had somebody on Facebook uh, who was just talking with or chatting with, rather, uh, who had a problem with having a Green Party candidate. You, it's, you and I have, I believe, discussed, and you probably could tell when I was at the Green Party Ohio Convention that I do consider myself a conservative. However, I do have uh, a lot of Green Party or environmental leanings. Uh, so, but they, they took problem with me having, uh, someone from the green party. They call you God's nut jobs. I don't agree with that. I think the Republicans, certainly the Democrats have plenty of those. Well, what I like to, uh, to say to people, you know, conservatives about the green party, um, when I had to, I got invited to speak to a bunch of tea party people one time. And, uh, you know, I opened my speech there. I asked everybody, how many of you have seen the, the Mel Gibson movie Patriot? And, of course, everybody's hand went up because it's a, it's a great movie. And uh, I pointed out – I hated out that movie. That, oh, you hated uh, it? Well, <laughs> well, 
let, let me clarify that a little bit. I mean, okay. a good movie, but I just hated seeing that church full of women and children get burned down, and it really made me mad. So, yes, so that's why I hated it. <laughs> right. Pretty much. I just well, hated to see that kind of stuff. That's why. Right. But, but so I, I point out that in that movie, um, really one of the allies of Mel Gibson and, and, and the Patriots and the rebellion against England was the, the natural world. I mean, that he, he and his men were traveling from place to place. They were living off the land. They were hiding in, in the dense forests and, and, and swamps. And, um, you know, they were hunting for their sustenance. And what I say is that, you know, that wilderness is the infrastructure of freedom. Uh, once you get to a point where you've taken your, your natural surroundings, your world, and you've wiped them out, once you've cut down all the trees, once you've, you know, hunted all the animals and, and fished out all the fish, you know, it created a situation like they have, let's say, out in the Middle East where 2,000 years of civilization have literally destroyed those ecosystems, then you can no longer have freedom because you don't have a backup. Now you are completely dependent on the government, on the social structures. Right now, we are still lucky enough, you know, sometimes you can go fishing, sometimes you can go hunting, sometimes you can heat your house with wood. Um, but if we keep going the way we're going, uh, the whole of the earth might end up looking like the Middle East, where they've used up all their natural resources and are so dependent on trade and oil and so forth to support themselves. So, you know, we share a common uh, belief in grassroots democracy. That's one of our Green Party's 10 key principles is grassroots democracy. Uh, and we also share the, the natural system, the ecosystem that, that supports all of us and lets us you know, feed ourselves and, and have water to drink and, you know, have energy that we can have a, this conversation over the over the radio. And that's why kind of the format uh, for tonight, Joe, is, you know, looking over uh, your website and uh, I, I've got some questions off there that uh, I want to ask you. Uh, but sure. what I'm going to do with the format is, you know, I pretty much looked at the website and just kind of go down the line with uh, some of the issues you uh, have down there and ask you some questions. I read through read through them and I, I've developed some questions for those. Uh, and so we'll have the format. We do have, you know, folks who would, would like to chime in. I see Susan uh, like to chime in uh, already. And so I'm sure we'll have uh, other folks as well. And so those out there want to chime in, uh, give us a call at 347-945-7428. Now, the first uh, issue, of course, you talk about there is the ecology. And one of the things uh, that I know you're obviously opposed, of, uh, opposed to is nuclear energy. And I'll be honest, oh, yeah. and I've said this many times on the show, I'm not a big fan of it myself. Um, mm. But, no, there's another yeah. uh, there's another candidate uh, who we're going to have on from the Green Party, and you know him, uh, Dennis Lambert. He's going to be on next Wednesday. Uh, looking forward to that. Who wanted a part of this platform. He's running for the House of Representatives uh, in Ohio. Um, and one of the things he, you know, you know, as I said, part of his platform is you know, space exploration things of that nature. We'll touch more about that next week. Uh, but one of those technologies uh, for space exploration, and you heard me ask uh, Jill Steinman something about this uh, during the convention there in Ohio, is that, you know, one of the things on the moon is helium-3. Now, that's a substance used for nuclear fusion. I don't know how familiar you are with nuclear fusion, 
but basically it's supposed to be able to give us the energy of the sun. That's how the sun operates, and it's a clean uh, nuclear power. Uh, what would you be? Uh, would you support that type of research? And that's when it came to the point where we were able to harness that type of power. Would that be a type of nuclear power that you could support? If so why and or why not? Well, um, nuclear fusion is definitely cleaner than nuclear fission. I mean, really. Uh, I mean, nuclear fission. What happens in today's nuclear power plants produces, you know, literally hundreds of radioactive isotopes. They can get into the environment and uh, can cause cancer and genetic mutations and other illnesses. Nuclear fission or nuclear fusion with the helium-3, it does still produce some radiation. It produces uh, neutrons that uh, shoot out and, you know, hit other atoms in the surrounding environment and cause what's called secondary radiation. Not anywhere near the degree that a, a nuclear fission plant does. But um, the thing is that we have uh, the alternatives that we need right now. I mean, um, wind and solar and conservation and geothermal energy can supply our society with all the energy we need at the moment. Um, it's just a matter of making the switch at the infrastructure. And some Countries are already well on the way to doing that, like Germany um, and like Denmark. And, and uh, you know, they've both those countries have had days where just with wind power alone, they've produced more energy than the entire country needed. And so they were able to export electricity off to the other European countries that don't have as much wind power yet. So I'm all for research. I, I am a very scientific-minded uh, person. In fact, I oppose nuclear fission, nuclear power, because of my scientific knowledge and my understanding of the way nutrients get transported through the food webs and, uh, you know, and the way some radioactive atoms get concentrated into our bodies and our organs. That's why I oppose nuclear, because of my scientific understanding. And so I'm I'm all for research. I'm, I'm also, you know, for research on uh, genetic modification. But I don't want to see genetically modified organisms let loose into the environment because of my scientific knowledge and because I understand that we have the technology today to shut down all our nuke plants and all our coal plants and run our earth cleanly with what we have in hand right now, my opinion is let's use what we have in hand right now. We'll continue to look at fusion. Um, but uh, at the moment, it's it's not practical to put fusion on the drawing board or in the plans because, you know, they've been on the verge of success with nuclear fusion for about 30 years now. Um, you know, I've seen headline after headline, you know, fusion achieved for, you know, 0.5 seconds or fusion achieved for almost three quarters of a second and, you know, fusion reactor almost makes back as much energy as was put into it. But, you know, like I said, they've been on the verge of success for, for 30 years, and I think it's time to use the technologies we have that are successful today, like wind and solar, which are growing worldwide uh, so rapidly that they're literally shutting down coal plants left and right because the energy is being generated more cleanly and more cheaply by what we have today. So that's my opinion on that. 
Well, one of those, I mean, I'm definitely, you know, people here know that support O Solar. I've never been a big wind, wind fan, but, you know, I mean, it's it's all right. <laughs> I'm aware of a, a solar uh, person myself, and, and perhaps you, you, you've heard uh, what's called the solar grand plan. We won't get into all that tonight. Uh, but that's something I, I found interesting uh, doing a, a project in college on the on the solar grand plan. Uh, but you also mentioned, and I'll skip questions real quick, uh, and then I'll get back to uh, the other one. But you did mention the GM, uh, GMOs, and I'm, I'm sure you're familiar, or uh, I'm thinking you're probably familiar, uh, with golden rice, which is used over in third world countries, where they take the uh, alleles from a daffodil, and which is beta carotene, uh, you would think they use a carrot, but they don't. They use it from a daffodil, and that's what gives a daffodil, I believe, the orange color, and same with carrots for that matter. And what they do is they splice that into the gene of the rice, and that's why they call it golden rice because it kind of gives it like a, a golden color. Now, the reason they do that is because, you know, in, you know, in the third world, in a lot of the African countries, they have rice as a staple diet. Uh, not just in Africa, but I'm using this as an example. And so they're using that to keep these children from going blind uh, for that. They also have uh, strawberries that they've uh, spliced their alleles with saltwater, deep water saltwater fish because they can live in water uh, under the freezing, you know, under freezing. Because, you know, as you get because of the salt, the deeper you get, you actually have water in the oceans that are colder than 32 degrees. I mean, you know. So they don't freeze because, you know, they, they're just adapted to that. And so they use those to make straw, strawberries, for instance, that are frost-resistant. Now, you know, I am against the ones that automatically put, like in corn, I think that you call it BT corn, where they actually put pesticides in, uh, in with, the, with the corn. I mean, so, and I knew cross-pollinationing uh, possibilities for that. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the kind of GMO such as, you know, the strawberries I mentioned, and the golden rice. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you, touched, you touched on some very interesting things about GMO. And uh, literally, there's almost no limit to the way we can modify organisms. Uh, I mean, we could make, you know, any plant produce almost any uh, chemical or hormone or, or you know, by taking genes from foreign animals and putting them into plants. The thing is that you have to look at the whole food web. You have to look at the entire ecosystem. And the plants that we have today all evolved together. And they, they, they are all tended on each other and they all react in, in, in certain ways together. Now, if you take a, a, a new gene and stick it into a plant that it's never been in before, take the frost resistance in strawberries. Now, I'm not predicting this is going to happen, but I'm just using this as an illustration. It could be that, well, we know for certain that genes don't stay in just the plant that you, we put them in. Uh, in the wild, once you're out in the real world, Similar plants, similar uh, organisms can swap genes. There could be crossbreeding. There could be hybridization. And um, so that gene that, that we put into our domestic strawberries could very easily get into the wild strawberry. So now you have frost-resistant wild strawberries 
becomes a pest plant? What if then uh, strawberries start out-competing other plants because now they have this extra frost resistance? And We um, eat a lot of strawberries, Joe. Well, yeah, I mean, but, that, but this is how this is how biological infestations start: is is we introduce something into a, an ecosystem that's never been there before. You know, the other competing plants don't know how to handle it, and we've had in North America we've had ecological disaster after ecological disaster caused by the introduction of foreign organisms. Now. Now we're making the foreign organisms. Now we're creating them ourselves genetically and introducing them. And so the effect on the entire ecosystem is literally unpredictable. Um, I like to, there was an example, there was a, uh, there was a, a bacteria that they created uh, genetically. This happened about 15 years ago. Uh, and it was purpose was to break down cellulose and to make, uh, to make meth to make uh, methanol from cellulose, and so what they did is they took this organism after they had created this bacteria after they had modified it, and they put it in a test plot, and unexpectedly it killed it outcompeted a fungus that was in the soil that was vital for soil nutrients, and so what happened once this fungus died, then all the other plants died because the fungus had been putting an essential nutrient that every other plant needed. And so this bacteria ended up sterilizing the plot. Now, if that bacteria had gotten out of the test plot and into the general environment, it literally could have sterilized North America. We could have had uh, plant, uh, you know, huge areas of the country, millions and millions of acres where nothing could grow because this bacteria had been introduced in, in a vital fungus then removed. And so, you know, seemingly innocuous changes, like uh, there was some state out in the Midwest that was having its uh, centennial, and so they wanted to genetically modify uh, fish to match the colors on the state flag and just release them into all the waters. And then biologists were saying, no, because this could outcompete the natural fish, and yet these fish that they created that were all these different colors didn't reproduce nearly as well. So you, you could be putting more fish into the environment but reducing the overall number of fish because they outcompeted the natural fish. And so, you know, it's just unintended unintended consequences. We're we're pretending everything isn't connected. We're pretending there is no overall structure to the natural environment with all these genetic modifications and crapshoot every time we do it, and it's dangerous, and we're not being nearly careful enough with, really, genes are the, you know, fundamental units of life, and life is the most powerful force shaping the surface of our planet, and so we are literally playing with the most fundamental, most dangerous, uh, most powerful things in the universe, well, in on Earth anyway, and uh, we don't know what we're doing. We're just willy-dilly saying, oh, frost-resistant strawberries, that sounds good, um, but without giving thought to the whole system. And, and we just can't keep doing that. Eventually, if we keep doing that, we're going to get burned. We'll go back to my one uh, 
the question I really had before that. Uh, and, you, you know, you do believe in climate change. I, I honestly don't know if I subscribe to that. I haven't been fully convinced of climate, train, uh, climate change. However, uh, we won't be touching on that. Link. People could go back and forth for hours on that. But one of the things in that portion I was interested in is uh, what you call the Federal, Re- Federal Reforestation Program uh, that you had proposed. Now, I love the idea. You know, I'm always for, you know, playing more trees and things of that nature. But how would you get that implemented? Uh-huh. And, of course, as people on the show would want to know, how would we pay for that? Uh-huh. Well, um, I would get that implemented. Uh, basically, the Green Party has um, what we call the Green New Deal. Uh, and that's something that Jill Stein, our presidential candidate, or presumed presidential candidate has proposed, and essentially it uses um, which programs people haven't gotten back to me yet about her coming on. <laughs> ah. Well, I hope she does. I mean, she's she's a very yeah, dynamic speaker. She's, she's great. Oh yeah, you saw her at the uh, at the convention there. Yeah. So um, yeah. So essentially, it's it's using uh, it's recreating FDRs. Uh, program from back at the, the original New Deal, and we can we can use it. We can do this in a number of ways. Some degree of uh, federal funding, you know, where we put people to work replanting these trees and uh, reforesting our our country, uh, but also basically getting people to do it on their own, making it a um, you know something that Americans do is go back and and, and replace our forests. Um, so where would the money come from? To some degree, it would come from federal funding. This could also be done on the state and local level, and it should be done on the state and local level. So um, that's so that's my answer. My answer would be it would be a, a government program funded through taxation, and uh, we would put thousands of people to work doing it. With the taxation, would it be an additional tax or be something where you would uh, cut one tax in order to pay for another? Well, our taxation program right now, the, the way we do it is completely on its head. It's, it's completely the opposite of what it should be. Um, right now, individuals, people like you and me, pay about three-quarters of the tax that the government collects. And corporations only pay about um, a third, so or uh, the remaining quarter, excuse me. So we need to reverse that because corporations over the past 10 years have been making record profits year after year, and yet the percentage of taxes that they're paying into the federal government has been steadily declining because the government that's in power right now, the, the Democrats and Republicans, both together keep cutting taxes on corporations while increasing them on the individuals. So, so what we, we need to completely rejigger the tax system. And I personally, you know, I'm sort of skipping ahead there a little bit, but one of the issues I want to attack is social equality, and that is the huge gap between the wealthiest Americans and the rest of us, you know, the 99% plus. So we need to increase the taxes on the wealthiest Americans and we need to get corporations paying their fair share 
And, you know, once we do that, then there'll be more money for other programs. And uh, and then hopefully also we'll be able to reduce taxes on the, on the middle class. So... So that's where I would get my taxation. I would increase the taxes on uh, corporations. Many of the largest corporations pay zero taxes. And in fact, a lot of the largest corporations pay negative taxes. That is, the government pays them subsidies, and then they pay zero taxes in return. So, so basically, the taxpayer is supporting, literally supporting, some of our biggest corporations. Yeah, I, I don't think I disagree with that <laughs> very much. Uh, and, and I think uh, I'm going to skip uh, uh, two things and uh, one thing to go over, uh, go back to it. Uh, so we are going to jump around a little bit, uh, but I think just because of the relevancy to our conversation. Uh, one of the things uh, you talk about, Chris, talk about corporations, of course. One of the things uh, that corporations are going to, would be a part of is TPP. Now, what would uh, a Senate controlled by a Green Party, now we know that's wouldn't be something that happens, but let's say that hypothetically what it, uh, that it does, or at least they have a controlling interest so they can have influence. Uh, what would a Green Party do about the Trans-Pacific Partnership? Uh, we would fight the Trans-Pacific Partnership with everything we've got. Um, every trick in the book, you know, we filibuster if possible, um, chain ourselves to the Senate doors if possible, um, just because this is the, exactly the sort of deal that is uh, has been eroding our democracy uh, for the past 20 years. Uh, Greens, actually, we opposed NAFTA and we opposed GATT. We were in the streets protesting those agreements because one of our is locally based economics. Uh, we don't believe, fundamentally, we don't believe that our products should be made uh, overseas and then shipped over here because along with those products go jobs and and our basic wealth of our country. So we've been pumping jobs and money over to China for, you know, for decades now. And, uh, you know, China has been returning the favor by uh, essentially first loaning us money and, and now buying up our country. So um, North America that the United States of America will be stronger the more that we produce ourselves, the, the, the more that we keep our economies locally based. And, um, you know, and then I like to toss uh, a, um, an ecological example in here. Uh, I don't know if you know, but all the ash trees in North America are pretty much doomed now. Uh, because of an invasive bug called the em emerald ash was, borer. Yeah, yeah, if you heard yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. And and the emerald ash borer came over on a pallet from China. You know, somebody shipped something up to Michigan. Um, you know, they imported some some consumer goods or some. It might have been something for a factory or, or something like that. But whatever pallet was worth pales in comparison to the billions of dollars worth of ash trees which we have now lost because we're so we're so committed to this idea of international trade that we're literally destroying our our ecology and our ecology is what supports our economy. You know, we can't lose that many more tree species. We've lost chestnuts, now we're losing ash trees, birch trees are threatened, maple trees are threatened. I mean, a, 
if our forests collapse, you know, the, the there's going to be echoes. There's going to be reverberation. There's going to be echoes all through the economy and reverberation. So the idea, the idea that we we have to have a global economy, uh, we Greens rejects that idea on principle. And, and speaking of economy, I do got another one question. This one always kind of uh, baffles me because, you know, I, I do you know in some ways agree with what's called a living wage. Uh, but one of the things uh, they propose, and not only you, when we've been hearing this from uh, some others, is the $15 minimum wage. Now, and you support that, the $15 minimum wage, correct? Yes, I do. Okay. So what would you say, okay, so let's say it gets enacted. I, I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not for it, and this is one of the reasons why, uh, and, and it'll come forth in this question. So what do you say to the person who's been working for a company, let's say a grocery store or something, for 27 years, and they've worked there, you know, and built themselves up, and now they're only making about $15 an hour, maybe a little bit more, okay? And then a new person comes in, and now they're making just as much as they did, and they're just now starting. What would you say to that person who's been working there 27 years about this new person now making $15 an hour, making the same amount as person who's worked there for 27 years, and should that person working there 27 years get a compensatory raise? Well, what I would say is that that person who's been working there 27 years, who's a good worker, deserves more than $15 an hour. You know, the minimum wage is the base wage. It's it's the bottom of the, the economic scale. And so, you know, that person who – so the part of the idea of raising the base wage is that then that puts pressure to raise everybody else's wages too. Uh, wages have been stagnant in the United States for, for way too long for most Americans. For the wealthiest Americans, you know, the up ones up at the top, they've been getting steady raises. But most Americans, their wages are, are not much more than they were uh, 10, 15 years ago. So so we need to – part of the reason of bumping up the bottom is to get that engine started again and get people and, – and raise the wages for everybody else because as long as that – the company that that, 20, that that guy works for, the 27-year veteran, as long as, as long as he could be replaced by someone who's only earning $8 an hour, his wages are going to stay right where they are. Um, I have a, a little story that, that kind of illustrates what I'm talking about, and that is when and, and, I was uh, – And real quick, Joe, real quick, Joe, and, and people know I, I hate to interrupt folks, but I do see it's the bottom of the hour, and I uh, do have to uh, let us hear from the Patriot Journals Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely, folks, check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com, as well, of course, this show's website at www.bardslogicpolitical.com, where you can see a list of folks 
um, uh, who we've all had on the show, as well as uh, since we are have the Green Party on here, uh, it's a page I would like to have uh, updated, but I do have what's called the Green Conservatism page, so check that one out uh, as well. And so, well, let's go ahead and bring it back to our guest, and that is Joe Neza Demure, or Demare, and well, running for we... the Senate for the Green Party. I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah, I'm running for the Senate in Ohio, so... When Ohioans go to the polls in November, they'll see, you know, Democrat, Republican, Green, and my name will be right there. Um, and we we say Demar uh, because Demar, okay. You know, yeah, because our our family name, I'm I'm Italian, and so if we were speaking Italian, it would be Demare. But and you know, if you look at it in English, you say Demare. So my family, we split the difference. We just call ourselves Demar. Tomare, you know what? I'll do my best to call it Tomare. <laughs> well, my wife's a Siciliano, so that should tell you something. Um, oh. Both, you know, <laughs> yes. And so, with, back with the, um, you know, so back we were talking about minimum wage and it being fifteen dollars an hour. And what about all the students who, you know, the teenagers who want to work at like McDonald's or or what have you? And McDonald's has to raise their their wage is $15 an hour. I mean, how many employers are going to actually hire a teenager for 15 bucks an hour? Well, again, this is, this is a, an attempt to jumpstart the economy. I mean, the, the $15 an hour wage, if a, a, a person, a, a young person can get it, you know, then some people who can't pay off their student loans now might be able to afford to pay it. And if, it, if that is the minimum wage, then that is what employers will have to come up with to pay their workers on, on minimum. Um, but the thing is that right now, all over the country, you've got people that have been stuck at wages below $10 an hour. I mean, for the, for you, you talked about your hypothetical 27-year veteran who's making 15 right now, but there are people in a lot of companies that are – Actually, that are I know somebody who does that. That's what – you know that, that yeah. that's actually a real case. I know someone who's done that. That's why I brought that 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 specific age up and or specific okay, so uh, amount of years in. Go ahead. Okay, so you got your actual person who's been making fifty-two gets who's been working twenty-seven years and now makes about fifteen, but there are other people that have been working for places for twenty-seven years, twenty years, and they're still making less than ten. You know, I that's the story I was going to tell is that. Yeah. We Hostess Twinkies used to be made. They had a factory here in uh, Rossford, Ohio. Well, it was in Northwood, actually. And um, they went on strike, and I went and visited with, with them while they were striking, and I asked, well, why did you guys go on strike? Because you know it might mean the company's going to fold. And they told me, you know, one guy told me, he said, well, because I've been working here for 20 years, and I don't earn enough to take care of my family, you know, this, you know, he, he actually, by continuing to work hard and he would put in overtime, but his base wage was so low that he was actually getting poorer and poorer the longer he worked. So for him, it was like either we need to strike and get higher wages, you know, or I have, you know, or I have to leave anyway, so I I might as well take the gamble. And what ended up happening is the, the plant did end up closing but if there had been a $15 an hour minimum wage enacted, that 
guys could have kept his job, and he probably would then have earned enough to actually support his family. So, you know, for everybody who's been there 27 years and is only now making 15, there are other people who've been working for 27 years and are still only making eight or nine. So those people need raises and deserve raises, and they're not going to get them unless we do something drastic. You know, it's always been, you know, and we won't belabor the point because I do want to have other questions to do of, you know, people on the line who'd like uh, to talk with you as well. Um, is that, you know, another point is what about, you know, for the people who've been and they haven't gotten a raise, you know, going back to school, getting more skills, getting a degree, because I'm sure the people who are working in these factories probably don't have their degree. Um because if they did, they probably would be doing something else, or they'd be in management. I mean, why weren't, you know, now the person I'm spoken with, they decided they didn't want to be in management. I mean, they, they've been there long enough, has enough knowledge. They could be in management, just choose not to. Okay. Now, but for someone, let's say you're the main breadwinner, what do you say? To you? you say, well, why didn't you, you know, go get to college? Because I worked, I went back to college in my 30s. You know, because, I mean, my brother and I had a, a, a small company that was 2008. We did landscaping and home remodeling. Okay, 2008 just devastated it. So that, you know, business went out. And then I, in my 30s, I had to go back to college. I worked full-time. I went to school full-time. You know, it was a hellacious four years, let me tell you. Uh, and I was it's trying to, wait, I was just, you know, doing shared caring with, you know, with my daughter. You know, so it was four at the time when I went in and she was eight when I got out and then I did it in four, you know, I was able to do it in four years. Um, and that's not the too many horns seriously, but I mean, it, my point is, is it can be done. So, you know, people can do that. And I think an argument for those against, uh, the, the minimum wage is say, well, why don't these people who are stuck in these jobs, you know, only making $8 an hour, why don't they improve themselves through education or learning a skill, doing something else? instead of maintaining where they're at or find another company, which actually would be something uh, to one of my next questions. Go ahead, and we'll move on to my next question. All right. Well, having a higher base wage would actually make it more possible for someone who's uh, not earning very much, who's at the bottom of the wage scale, to then be able to afford to take extra classes and so forth because tuition is not cheap, and it keeps going up. That's why there's oh, such no, a huge... no, it's not. <laughs> I get student loans out to my ears. Go ahead. Yeah, so so raising the base wage, raising the minimum wage, will enable a lot more Americans to follow that path that you were able to follow. Um, because if you're trying to raise a family on $8 an hour or $9 an hour, uh, you don't have any money left over for tuition. So now if you get $15 an hour, maybe they could afford to take a night class here and there and, and gradually work their way up. Um, Basically, the hole Americans are in now is, is too deep, and this isn't going to alone fix the economy, but it's going to help a lot of people get to the point where they can start improving themselves. And your and your other question, your friend who who's worked his way hard up to get the fifteen dollars an hour, he's not going to lose anything. He's certainly not. They're not going to lower his wages. Um, right. And so. You know, he's he's not losing anything. He's just he's just upset at the idea of other people gaining something. And the problem is that not everybody who's who's in the lower wage scales now 
it's just mathematically not possible for all of them to work their way up uh, the way things well, have been but, set up. But, well, one, it's one. I think they see it as you know a uh, you know an issue of fairness, and two, and in essence, it, he or she will be losing because they're going to be. I mean, I, I, I think, and they're going to be losing buying power because you go to these companies and say, hey, look, now you got to pay 15 bucks an hour and then presume that they're not going to raise their, their prices to compensate, um, then I, I don't see where people can expect that that to be the, the situation, how, how it will turn out. I mean, if they raise, if you raise minimum wage, people are just going to raise their, raise their prices to compensate or they just won't pay or they'll like what a lot of happened in Obamacare. So just won't hire full-time people anymore that, you know, they'll just well, hire I, people who will work less. Yeah, I understand that. I, and let me say, I, I am not a supporter of Obamacare. Um, we Greens, during that whole thing, were fighting for universal single-payer health care, the way they have in uh, the European countries and Canada. Uh, so, yeah, I could go but, on about Obamacare, but, the problems with that. But Well, the, and actually, that's going to segue is, to my next question. <laughs> okay. or, or did you have a caller that you were going to take? Yeah, I've got uh, well, I've got like you know, three of them right now who'd like to go on. But let me go ahead and ask this one. Like I said, you're probably tired of just hearing my voice, uh, so you can hear uh, no, you can hear some it. others. But I do want to. Uh, what's that? I said no, that's not it. I, I, oh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm sure you'd like to have a little variety. That's fine. Um, and, well, right. we can get back to them. I mean, we've got plenty of time, and you know, of course, you, you go when you need to go. Um, but let me tell you something. We could, keep, you know, with the show, this conversation is, we could keep you here for quite some time. But it's only a three-hour show, so don't worry, you won't be here tonight. But anyway, uh, so, and I want to bring this up next. You, you bring up the universal health care, and you said you support universal health care. Uh, so yeah. let's say I, I like my health care coverage that my my employer provides and I pay into, and, and they pay into as well. Um, and, and I think they uh, provide you know, great coverage. I'll give you an example, a personal example, is that uh, last year my daughter was in the hospital. Um, uh-huh. And, I mean, for for 10 days, for 10 days she was in the hospital. And, you know, I got this big bill, you know, two big bills from the hospital. And I won't give a dollar amounts, but they were, they were big. They were, they, were big in, they were big enough for me to wor- really worry about them. I mean, really worry about right. my financial status about them. And then the insurance company came in, and my jaw dropped. Like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe the size of the check this company just this, my insurance company just wrote to pay this bill. It was unbelievable. I mean, if, if, if we did not have the, if I did not have this, this this health this employee sponsored health care, I, I could have been sunk, at least for for a time. Now, would mm-hmm. I in a you know, in, this, in your your system of universal health care would I be able to keep my employer sponsored health care? For my, for me and my family. Well, not. I mean, you'd be able to buy like a supplemental health insurance policy uh, that would supplement the base care that the government. So that would wipe completely wipe out employee employee based insurance. It would it would re, it would replace it. It would replace employee based. Yeah. Employer based. Employer yeah, based. Because, um, well, that, yeah. yeah, that's something. That, I, I that, also, that's something that would. <laughs> when I could never probably uh, agree. Now, uh, I, I could agree with maybe a hybrid of sorts, not you know, not to use the term in that way, but uh, whereas, you know, 
what's what Donald Trump says, you know, people shouldn't be dying in the streets because they you know, can't be taken care of, you know, especially if they're citizens of this country. And that's that's something that's a different issue. But I say, look, if you need to take care of people, you take care of people. But the people who already have what they have in place of their employer, now I could support something like that where you keep your employers if you want to keep it. If you want to get what your Obamacare was supposed to be like that, but it's my understanding it's not. But you should really be able to keep the one you got. And if you want to get on the government system, you do it. Go ahead. Hmm. Well, I mean, we have we can talk about the way to transition to a to a federal. Uh, health care plan, mm. and it might involve, uh, you know, going in phases and taking uh, people who've got good private employer-provided care last. But um, but I, I also had a, a good health care plan. When my first son was born, uh, it was an 80-20 plan, which is almost unheard of today. Almost no one has a, a plan that the insurance pays 80% of the bill. But even with that plan, we were settled with um, about a $45,000 debt way back. This is about 30 years ago. And it took us more than seven years to pay that off. And that was, you know, seven years of rice and beans and, uh, you know, budgeting every dollar and, you know, calling calling the uh, health insurance bills, you know, calling the hospitals every once every month and saying, okay, this month we can send you this much. Uh, we did mm-hmm. eventually pay it off, but, but that was seven years that we, you know, we could have contributed a lot more to the economy during those seven years. We could have, um, you know, instead of having to go to the thrift store for everything, we could have, uh, you know, we could have bought a house much quicker. Um, and so even the best policies today, I mean, don't approach the 80-20 that we used to have. And if you get hit by a big enough medical bill, you're gonna you're still going to go under, with your, even with your employer-based health care. I mean, medical bankruptcies are still the number one cause uh, for bankruptcy is medical bills. And still the number one reason people are losing houses uh, and can't make the mortgage payment is because they come down with a medical problem and both have lost wages and medical bills. So, so... I'm glad it's working well, for you, and I'm, I'm glad ahead. you have an excellent health care uh, coverage. But for, for most people in America today, uh, what we've got is inadequate. Well, and, what I'll, and then I'm going to get a, get a caller in. Susan, uh, I'm going to, let's see, let me yeah, get, get Susan in. Uh, and then I believe we have John and then Kelly. We've got some other callers. Uh, just push the one on your number dial. Come in. And then, uh, Carolyn, I do see a uh, chat with me? Okay. Oh, well, okay, Carolyn. Uh, when you commute to work, uh, give us a call, Carolyn. I see in the chat there on Facebook. Uh, hello. <laughs> so give us a call, 347-945-7428. Oh, I see you in the chat there as well uh, for the show. And for those uh, who are out there, uh, give us a call. And so let's go ahead and open uh things up to Susan and real quick Susan before I do that is that my suggestion would be and you know at one point in my early uh early adulthood I considered getting into politics now I'm just doing it behind a, a microphone so to speak uh but anyway is well, something I would propose is for people to still as you probably know uh keep theirs but if they do have catastrophic 
something catastrophic would sound like with you, then either charities, you know, because charities are going to the wayside, can help people out. That's what charities are supposed to be for. Um, and then if that fails, because people just aren't, as you probably know, Joe, aren't able to give to, to charities as much because who's got the money to do it, right? Then, then you can use the government as a backup. Instead of them being the, you know, the first thing you go to for your health care, you know, you should have the option. I mean, this is America. We should have all kinds of options. We should have options coming out of our ears. It's America. It's freedom. I think that'd be the, the the freest way to do it. Say, look, if you want to have this, do it. If you want to have a fully, you know, system with the government, do it. You know, but or you can have a a mix of both. Do both. That's what I propose. But anyway, let's go ahead and uh, open up the mic to, uh, for. And I do have some other questions, but you know what? We can get to those later if we're able to, or uh, we'll go from there. Go ahead, uh, Susan. Thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hi, fine, thank you. <clears throat> well, hmm. I can only say there's some things I disagree with him on, but appreciate I put ten again. I disagree with the Republican Party, Democrat Party, all of them. So, um, um, but I did vote for Ralph Nader once. <laughs> it was a rebellion vote, but he makes sense sometimes. Wow! Yeah, and I you. felt he was better. <laughs> I thought he was better than the R and the D. <laughs> um, <laughs> now it's for yeah, the finest chef. Yeah, he definitely is. He has some smarts. Um, the China, wow. Um, I don't even know what to say about China. It, uh, the stuff they do over there, I, I don't like. Um, so getting stuff imported from from there to here, there's a lot of toxics and a lot of problems there. And I don't believe we should be doing much business with them. <clears throat> as far as uh, GMOs, well, uh, I am against them, and uh, very much, very strongly, I'm, I'm organic stuff. And uh, as far as doctors, I believe in prevention. So the Obamacare, I try not to use it because, uh, except for chiropractic, because I, um, I definitely try to use herbs and all kinds of natural stuff to heal any of my problems um so but we do have to concern ourselves and uh i i have signed more petitions than you can imagine to try to save the bees the butterflies um and all of that because i i believe we're destroying and we need the bees in our uh our country uh in the world actually because our crops wouldn't be um good without them and as for wages, well, uh, let's go there. I'm not for the $15 wage. I do believe that 7 or $8 is not enough. I just wish that companies would get to their thick heads that the presidents of these companies and all that don't need so much money and they can share a little bit. I'm wondering if giving stocks to the employers, well, sort of like our Idaho Central Credit Union, um, our, I, our Idaho Central Credit Union, uh, the people are um, kind of holders in the, in the Idaho Central Credit Union. Um, so I think that stock would be a good thing. Um, now, as to the, the wage itself, I, 
I don't know the answer to that. I just think that if it gets too high, they're doing it in places they're going to put robots in, they're going to do uh, other substitutions in place of, and let people go. So here you're working for cheap or you have no job at all and you're living off society. I think part of the answer is many of these places, McDonald's and all them hire illegals to begin with, so we should be giving these jobs to other people. And if we stop giving welfare and all that, maybe companies would have a little more to give their employees. And I would rather have 8 to $10 wage and have a really, really good insurance than because they can't tax your health insurance. So I've always said, you know, if you have eye and you have dental and you have, I mean, when I gave birth to my daughter, it was one, and my son, when Dallas was working at the mines in Wyoming, was 100% paid for, 100%. And I believe that, um, that, that you know, where, where it can't be taxed, I believe those in uh, a good insurance is is better than actually higher wages that can be taxed. So that's just my opinion and my thought. But um, even though I disagree on you know, a few things, I appreciate that, uh, and I don't see why uh, there people are upset that he's having you on the show. Some people, anyway, because it's good to have different ideas and thoughts and on on things, not just stalemate. Two parties. You're here. So that's all. <laughs> so I wish you yeah. good luck. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I, I do want to thank you for having me on, too, Robert. I, I do appreciate this. Oh, you're welcome. And, yeah, and, yeah, you have an excellent point. You know, all sides need to listen to each other. Um, and because, you know, nobody's right about everything and nobody's wrong about everything. And, uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, the whole idea of democracy is that all of us just do the best we can, you know, and and fight for what we believe in. And hopefully enough of us will be able to see when all the ideas are presented as well as they can be by people who believe in them, that the majority can look at all everything that's been presented and say, okay, we we agree with this and we disagree with that and we go along with this. And, and I firmly believe that the majority of Americans when presented with the choices honestly will more times than not make the right choice. I, I believe in democracy. So uh, thank you. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> yeah, me too, for all our sakes. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, well, then I was actually doing some behind the sc- uh, screen, behind the scenes uh <laughs> Uh, screen calling, uh, so I kind of uh, meshed two words in one. Uh, yeah, but then I was also looking at the uh, congressional district, not congressional, uh, the Senate districts, and just reiterate with uh, our Ohio listeners is that uh, you're running against uh, Rob Portman. Is there anyone else that's, that's running in that race, or is it just you and Portman? Uh, no, uh, there is a Democrat that's uh, former governor of Ohio, Ted Strickland. Oh, wow. So it's going to be yeah. you three for all of Ohio now, or is it, or is it you, you split up, right? Like people from uh, Hamilton County and then those over in Cleveland, are all those going to have the opportunity to vote for you? Yep, it's a it's a statewide race. Uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons that I, I ran it. Um, 
or that I'm running it. So, you know, Greens, people tell us we need to keep running in local offices, and and we do. I, I ran for city council here in BG a, a few years ago, but uh, the only way in Ohio to join a political party is to vote in the primary, and so we needed a statewide candidate so anybody in the state who, who wanted to could join our party. Um, so that's that's one reason I had to run this this statewide race. And uh, we, I'm very happy to, to say that we managed to grow our party, uh, even though a lot of a lot of our supporters uh, got wooed by Bernie Sanders. Uh, a lot more people have realized that neither the Democrats nor the Republicans are the way to go anymore. So we we lost some old members, but we gained more new members. And so, uh, you know, I was very happy with the first phase of our campaign, the primary phase. Yeah, and that's right. Well, one of the things we talk a lot about on the show, and I've had other people on, and John will we'll get you in, uh, is that you know we want to end the duopoly. Frankly, we're tired of the uh, the Democrat Republican the system of government. I really enjoy, and you may know some of it or do some research. And I also brought this up uh, at the Green Party convention uh, in Ohio was the Irish political system. They they're a multi-party system. I even like the way that they do their preferential voting uh, as well. Uh, so, I, I mean, I just think it's the most representative of there. I mean, it, you know, you know, of all the parties, I think, and I think that one thing that the Republican debates have shown this year is that you can have an effective debate with five people on that stand. Uh, so I would suggest to, you know, of course, you'd have your Republican, Democrat, but then have the next uh, at least two, if not three, of the uh, alternate parties on there. Uh, whether that's uh, the Green Parties, we're talking to tonight, the Constitution Party we've had, which actually last week we had the 2012 uh, presidential candidate for the Constitution Party on last week, and that's Virgil Goode. Um, we're working on getting Jill Stein on. Uh, hopefully, if you could put a bug in her ear, Joe, I'd love to have her on. Uh, we're going to have um, a gentleman on next week uh, who is going to be uh, from the Green Party. He's running for the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives. We'll be having him on next week talk about his platform uh so well you know excited about that and that, that's definitely something we do talk a lot about and, and would like to work on or work for here on bard's logic so let's go ahead and get john and thank you very much john for coming to the show how are you tonight oh i'm doing fine thank you robert um I, first of all i wanted to give a little warning here here's the headline ted cruz and john Kasich support the rnc party insiders Voter nullification election fraud scam. So read all about it, folks. There's a big warning out. Ted Cruz and John Kasich are supporting the RNC's, you know, party insiders voter nullification scam or fraud. But I, I just wanted to get that out. Until these people. No, I appreciate it. that's definitely part of our topic for tonight, uh, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I'm, you know, with the system, I think Donald Trump has a, a you know, a big point of what he's. Uh, showing with what's what's going on with both systems. I mean, I you know, I bet you got the the super delegates on the dele- on the Democrat side, and then you have you know the behind the scenes convincing the delegates to switch over to the other candidate in second ballots, uh, you know, foregoing you know the actual popular vote. We might dig into that a bit deeper if you get back into that part of it later in the show. But um, as far as the guest, Mr. DeMarty, is that how you pronounce his last name? 
Yeah, we see tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And well, I thank you very much, sir. And I, I, one of those type of people that I believe that all legal United States citizens need to be seriously involved in order for us to get this boat floating in the right direction and all in unity on the same page, rowing together in order to stabilize our country again. And so I do appreciate you coming on and sharing your own personal perspective and expertise to help us all learn from each other. Now, um, you did cover a lot of areas between you and Robert in your conversation, so I'm just going to try to hit a couple things that um, stuck out to me. The issue on the minimum wage, another aspect or concern that I have is not only if you raise the rate to 15 bucks an hour, a lot of companies or the big business people are going to love it because they're going to put the small business people out of the market. They can't compete with the big guy. The big guy, and also the people that are trying to start up a business that don't know if it's actually going to be feasible or workable, they got higher cost for getting started. So that kind of truncates the motivation or development of new jobs and new business in our country, and it then turns out that the big businesses benefit and the global, uh, you know, international corporate globalist governance nonsense people love that tactic to give them more governance. And so there are a couple of concerns that I don't know if, if you guys have thought about, but I would like to find out what your perspective is from that angle. Well, um, I would say, first of all, that the the small businesses are already competing against the uh, the big businesses in terms of those wages um, in that the big businesses right now can pay the lower wages. So they have all the advantage of having more capital and, uh, you know, more money for advertising and they can pay the lower wages. So, so this, so raising the minimum wage is going to cost the big businesses more money too. In fact, you could make the argument it's going to cost the big businesses more money because they have more employees that they're paying less money to. Um, so that's one thing. But another thing is that when people, you know, most small businesses fail. Um, and I had a, a small business in western New York. When I lived there, I was putting up windmills and solar panels. And, you know, I made it, you know, my company made a profit in the third year or so, but uh, I ended up, you know, it ended up not succeeding long term. But part of the reason it didn't succeed is because a lot of people that I would go to and I would uh, make my sales pitch and tell them about the solar panels and tell them about the windmills and they really loved it, but they couldn't afford to buy it uh, because the economy was depressed back there. Mm-hmm. If people had $15 an hour, people would have more money in their pockets to spend on new businesses and, you know, the th- sorts of things that startups uh, sell. So it would actually improve the overall business climate for the small pe- small business as well as the big business. If, if people have more money to spend, there will be more economic activity. So it will be more likely that small businesses succeed. That's my in my opinion. DeMar, doesn't that yeah. mean that you're assuming that the businesses will maintain a, a lower uh, margin of return on their investment, or or are they going to continue to try to reap the same profit percentage?
advantage they've been for doing it. You see what I'm saying? Because if they continue to figure in their planning for all of their wages and stuff to still have this X amount of profit, or they just raise their own salary, you know, like the big wigs in the company, they just raise yeah. their own income level. Now they're making, you know, multi-millions instead of just a million in order to make up the difference because it ultimately has a whole lot of cascading effect unless there's some way that we can do, we can get them to agree that, hey, this is going to tap into your margin of profit and that's just going to have to be okay. How can you force them to do that? They help write the laws. They buy off our congressmen and senators all the time. <laughs> well, they they don't buy green politicians. One of our one of our rules in the Green Party is we don't take any donations from corporations or corporate PACs uh, or any corporate interests. You know, like the corporate lobbyists or uh, the way Hillary's getting it, where she gets all the, the bundled money from the CEOs. We don't do that. Um, yeah, but so the Congress, I, the Congress hold, on, hold on, hold on, John. Let him hold on, John. Let him finish the answer. And go ahead. All right. Go ahead, so sorry, John. But so sorry. you're right. Ahead, you're right that the the, the politics are going to have to change, and that's one of the reasons the Green Party exists is to change those politics and uh, you know put power back in the hands of the people and take it away from the the corporations and and the two quote unquote major parties, which I wanted to point out. Right now in America, most people don't identify with either of the major parties. And so, you know, it's a minority. We're fighting over who's going to represent the majority. And uh, that's unacceptable. And I think that's one of the reasons that the wages have stayed low for so long, as I think it's the big businesses that have continued to suppress them because they um, like to have a cheap workforce. And so that's one of the things... That's one of the reasons we oppose it is we think this will help the small business and the average American and, and you know, and maybe knock those big businesses back a pig. Okay, go yeah, ahead, Joe, and then uh, we've got Kelly here. Go ahead, Joe. I mean, okay, John. Well, too, too, too many J's. Go ahead, John. <laughs> yeah. my, go ahead. Well, as far as you know, you know how our system is working right now, and unfortunately, no green. It doesn't seem like there's any green party in control. Even if the person was president was getting to be elected as the president from the green party, they'd still be fighting all the bureaucracies and all of the different um, people that are currently, you know, in the Senate in the House of Representatives. And unless you get a majority of people from your party that think like you in those positions, we're still going to have a problem. And I'm just thinking, you know, how can we move forward? I mean, I I agree with your idea in the sense that people that are on the low uh, part of the income scale, they need to make at least enough money to have a life worth living. Otherwise, you know, they're dismayed from life and looking around to figure out how to make work, things work, and they either turn to stealing or suicide or, you know, who knows what. So I agree with you. There needs to be some attention to this, but I don't believe coercing um, a situation against the development of 
enterprise in the sense of small businesses that want to begin a business, I don't see how that's going to help them by making the barrier of entry larger. And to me, it would be better to come up with a rule or a law saying that, hey, if you're going to run a company in our country, and I want to say a rule that we all mutually agreed that this is the, and when I say you all or we all, I mean every legal United States American. I'm a one for all, all for one kind of guy. I don't believe I get to force my will on anybody because I don't want anybody forcing their will on me. But I would hope that we could all agree that whatever the highest paid earning wage earner is in their company, whether it be the CEO or a you know umbrella company you know that has a CEO up above them, and he would have to be paid always at least 10% of what the highest paid worker gets paid. That way, if the business grows, will all wages grow too? If the business falls, then all wages fall too. And so, therefore, there's more of an incentive for the employee to actually do a great job and help their company, you know, make a profit. And it helps keep this inflationary rich and poor separation wealth inequality gap more in check. But that's just an idea that I think we need to talk about. I don't know if that's a solution because there's so many other aspects to the equation. I well, yield it's, the it's, it's, it's being try it's being put in place in some other countries that they're they're tying the the lowest wage scale to the highest wage scale. And uh, you know, early indications are it's it, it's good. It's a good thing, but uh, um, you know, I, I think that even if we start right now with the fifteen dollar an hour wage, uh, in some of those big corporations, <laughs> that's still going to be uh, a lot less than ten percent for the bottom of the scale versus the top. So we're gonna we're gonna need to do some more. Uh, work on those things, but the uh, $15 an hour wage, I feel, is, is a start. Isn't 80% of the economy built by small business, though? Or is that wrong? I don't know. Um, well, I think I think most wages are paid by smaller companies, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's 80 or, or 60, but it's 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 the majority of wages are paid by smaller companies, which so gives an indication. Yeah, yeah, which gives an indication of of how the big businesses are are paying their workers on the whole. Yeah, governance seems to be one of the biggest issues too, because if every legal United States citizen had the right of approval on the laws that were, you know, going to be implemented in our country, then the businesses would end up having to do something to support them because truthfully the only reason they're getting away with allowing the immigration to flood into our country, therefore depressing the wages is because they have the money to influence the congressman, and the congressmen have no um, obligation to actually advocate true representation to their constituents. It's all a scam. And so they basically buy the voters' right to self-govern. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's true. And I think a, a lot of people don't even know what the Congress is doing to them. 
you know, like um, the, the one thing I would point to is was bankruptcy reform, quote unquote, uh, that they did back before 2008, where uh, I don't know if you remember, but it used to be in bankruptcy, you would get to keep your house, your primary dwelling, and you would get to keep a car and most of your debts would get discharged. And so it was in the interest of lenders to only lend to people who they knew could pay them back because they knew that if someone went bankrupt, you know, they wouldn't get their money back, and but that person would get to keep a house and a car and so they could start over. And then they changed bankruptcy laws, and most people never even knew they did this, you know, so that now you lose your house, you lose your car, but you still keep a substantial portion of the debt. And once they made that change, that's part of what led to the, that runaway uh, loan uh, situation where the banks were loaning to people who should never have gotten loans because they knew mm-hmm. that, uh, hey, if, if they go bankrupt, we we get the house. And so, um, you know, I, I agree. I, I, it would be wonderful if people actually knew what the government was doing to them when they were doing it as opposed to just feeling the effects afterwards, like with bankruptcy reform. Wow, very good point. I never heard uh, anyone really talk about that. It's, uh, it's always good to hear something uh, new on the show. Um, yeah, oh, you, so know, just, uh, you know what before... else they did with that? One other thing they did with that was that was that they kept those bankruptcy protections for the home, not for your first home, not for your primary dwelling, but for any other home. So if you own like two or three or four houses, the way most congressmen do, then those houses yeah. are protected in bankruptcy. So. Oh, geez. Well, how many people own two houses? Most of well, them yeah, own quite true. a few. Yeah. yeah, just like they're in there one time, they get uh, – let's see, there's universal health care for them. They get it uh, – they serve one term. They have uh, it for life. Uh, but real quick before I bring uh, Kelly, you know, just uh, looking up – now this is just on Wikipedia. I just looked up real quick. Uh, it says, as of October 18, 2012, there were 134 elected green Greens across the United States. Positions held variety, uh, variety greatly from mayor up to city council, school board to sanitation district. 23 states had Greens elected at the municipal level, representing every region of the county uh, except for East, South, Central. I guess talk about California. Greens held mayorships in California and New York and positions in city neighborhood or common councils in West, South, Midwest, and Northeast. The major cities with a green presence were spread throughout the county, include Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Oklahoma City, and Washington, D.C. So I'm surprised Portland, Oregon, which is, to my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Joe, is supposed to be one of the uh, greenest cities in America. Is that true? <laughs> That's their reputation, Yeah. <laughs> I don't see I don't see them on the list. Now that might you know it's it's definitely not all encompassing. I'm trying to find an actual list of of who the the Green Party candidates are not candidates but representatives are and what position they hold and and when. But that list is not forthcoming right now. Uh, but yeah, definitely. So I mean, there has been success by uh, Green Party Green Party candidates uh, before. It says uh, most notable notably is John Eater, uh, who's now a member of the House our main house of representatives. Uh, now, this was a while ago. It looks like uh, he was there until 2006. We can uh, look more into that. So definitely, you know, there has been some successes and find out the people who have been successful 
and use them as a model. And so let's go ahead and bring in Kelly. Kelly, thank you very much. He's kind of our a resident libertarian, uh, and he's from California. Speaking of California, as uh, the gentleman, uh, if I can use that term loosely, about the person I uh, was chatting with on Facebook was saying, uh, and he's like, oh, I'm from California, and I know there's not jobs. I'm, you know, once you start calling people names like that, you know, I don't know. I hate when Donald Trump does it, but uh, anyway, so let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Kelly. Uh, Kelly, thank you very much. How are you? Unless hey, you deserve the name Colin, yeah. but go ahead. I know you guys don't deserve the name Colin. Go ahead, Kelly. Okay. Well, hey, everybody. Um, hey, Joe. Um, hey. Damar? Damar, right? Yeah. Yeah, we say okay. Damar. Yeah. Damar. Okay, good. Yeah. Am I the only one who um, screwed that up? No, I'm just go ahead. Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah, you brought out some very interesting points. Um, let's see. Oh, I got to start with a joke. I always try this, but you know the Republicans. Uh, their symbol is a horse. They're not a horse. A horse. <laughs> their symbol is an elephant. And of course, we know that there are rhinos in the Republican Party. So we were talking earlier about genetic mutations and strawberries and this and that. And well, what happens when you uh, made an elephant with a rhino? What do you get? Carl Rose. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, 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 yeah, yeah. when you made when you made an elephant with a rhino, you get um, well, elephino, which kind of explains the Republicans sometimes. All right. Anyway, um, so yeah, Joe, I was raised on a farm in Iowa. I come from a long uh-huh. line of Jewish hog farmers, and they do have mm-hmm. a couple questions for you that I'm going to lead to. Um, done environmental consulting for even got a present project. 15 plus years, it is horrifying seeing what big corporations have done um, and just not care. And of course, we needed some accountability. Nixon started the EPA by executive order. If you ever watch Civil Action, the movie with John Travolta, W.R. Grace was just really hurting people bad. So there has to be something done. Um, I wonder, well, my observation being from Iowa, where we uh, it was in our own best interest to take very well care of the land. Uh, too much erosion, we'd lose our our farm. Um, but then California, we've, we've seen the other swing where the zoning is so difficult that people can't use their land. I mean, I like how you started out, how you um, go to tea parties and talk about uh, Brave, uh, not Braveheart, that's the other one, Patriot, and how men lived off the land. And um, you know, land is sustenance, land is self-provision, it is it is liberty, it is a lot of dignity. My grandparents went through the Great Depression, but basically unharmed on a farm, they actually prospered. But um, I'm getting to land because it actually solves some of the problems even with minimum wage, because I would like to see a world where at least 10-acre minimums out in the counties in the country, because people can, can grow some of their food, quite a bit of their own food, and they wouldn't be so dependent upon others. Um, but there's a lot of zoning issues that uh, out in the counties that prevent, you know, it could be a 40-acre minimum where you got to go through all these permitting processes, yada, yada, yada. And it just makes it hard for people to subdivide and sell their land. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is, because, is, is, well, my first question has to do with land planning. Have you heard of Ebenezer Howard? Uh No. Is considered uh, as one of the fathers of modern planning, where he, in Great Britain, uh, wrote a book called Garden Cities of Tomorrow. And he was um, very disgusted at the 
big cities, obviously early 1900s, we went through the Industrial Revolution, growth, 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 industries, factory, factories. You saw homes next to factories, billowing smoke, and children had to be raised in that environment. It was just a disaster. And so he wrote this book, got uh, raised some money, um, built a couple towns that were there were very large lots and even had a huge open space in the middle where people could grow. And he started, okay, here's the downtown, here's the residential, here's industrial, here's uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think I just want to get your view also just kind of on, on land planning because I think if people have the ability to grill some food, they're going to obviously offset some budget. And secondly, they're going to also be able to pick the own, their own seeds. In other words, GMOs are going to, um, well, they're not going to plant them in their garden. When they have access to just uh, natural plants, they're going to be growing food, and of course we'll have healthy kids, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I just kind of what's your thoughts on, on, on planning and how planning should be done out in the rural areas? There's a lot, to, a lot to this question. It's it's pretty complicated because there's a lot of different issues that what happens out in the, the rural areas, um, you know, affect. One thing that uh, I wanted to mention when you brought this up was uh, when I ran for city council here in Bowling Green, Ohio. Uh, one of the big issues was and still is uh, backyard chickens. Um, a lot, there's a lot of people in BG who want to raise chickens in the city, and uh, the city council has just said no, you know, and the mayor has just said no. And um, so, you know, there's a, a case where people could be raising some of their own food and maybe even, you know, doing some trading with their neighbors and so forth, but it's but our city government is, is forbidding it. Um, I well, think that... We had the same issue in... Uh... Little Irica, there's all over town. There was chicken. Yes, real simple. There's a chicken. It says above chicken. Yes, and it actually passed. Oh, you you passed yours. Congratulations. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No, yeah. we yeah we we weren't able to. Ours didn't pass. Not quite. But um, but I mean, do you think we have to take it issue by issue? Because some things, again, going back to science, um. Some things we can't negotiate on. Some things are just physically necessary. Uh, for example, here in Ohio, we have a problem with uh, blue-green algae blooms in Lake Erie, which is where the city of Toledo gets its water. You might remember uh-huh. last summer we had a period of time where the city of Toledo, no one could drink their water because it was contaminated by this blue-green algae. And the reason is we have a river called the Maumee River, which empties into Lake Erie, and unfortunately, the, the farmers along this river basin uh, farm literally right up to the drainage ditches and right up to the edges of all the streams. And so, runoff from uh, the fertilizer from these plants, from the farm, mm. streams, then gets into the river, then gets into uh, Lake Erie, where we have our algae blooms. And so, oh, there's yeah, a simple yeah, solution. Yeah. What? There's well, yeah, in, in college and grad school, this engineering grad school, professor says, real yeah. simple, make fertilizers with less potassium. It's the potassium that causes the mass uh, algae blooms. Yeah, that's that's one aspect. And then there's also, we could also mandate uh, that the farmers leave a, a buffer, a, enough of a vegetative buffer around the, these streams and, and along these drainage ditches 
Uh, it means they lose a little bit of their arable land, but they'll make that up in the fact that uh, the vegetative cover will will ho will host things like uh, bats and birds that'll eat the insects that are eating their plants. But um, you know, so, I like that. so yeah, so on a on some issues, we have to just follow the environmental science and say, okay, we just need a law saying you've got to leave this buffer around the streams. On other issues, yes, uh, people should get together and do community planning and decide, you know, how we're going to organize the future, how what we're going to do with our, our land. And I think that, um, you know, that's a very valuable exercise in, in, in democracy. And so... Well, what I, yeah, you know, well, I want to I throw this out to you. What? It is land. I mean, I do land consulting. I was out surveying. I had to tell a client uh, yesterday that he, at the end of a cul-de-sac, it's a rural subdivision, at the end of a cul-de-sac, he bought a cliff. And he wasn't oh. too happy. And, and he decided not to pay me. <laughs> oh, really? Anyway, yeah. But that's another story. I mean, you got to tell the truth. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but somebody sold you a cliff at the end of a cul-de-sac. I mean, yeah, you can get down there, you can spend 30000 on a road, and it's gorgeous down there, but Sorry, sorry. But anyway, I, wow. yeah, land gets very complicated quickly. Now, one, I think I've been studying this for years, and I want to get back to Ebenezer Howard. But um, <clears throat> one of the things I'd like to see, and I'll just give a little tip for you that might help your campaign, is townships. You know what a township is, right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's yeah. 36 sections or six. Six miles by six miles, like, you know, six miles square, 36 sections. And I would really support the people in a township forming their own government over land use because in some townships, this is a good idea. Other townships, this isn't. But the state or the county makes a swapping wide decision that doesn't allow the locals to best utilize their land and protect their land. If you just look at the township map, it's like, wow, you could, this could actually happen. And so you'd have good land management, you'd have good neighbors, and you'd have the ability for people to utilize their land in such a way that uh, people wouldn't be pushed into the big cities where they end up having to take a very low-paying job, and then we get this minimum wage fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, some places have soil and water conservation districts, and, in fact, some some of elect some greens are uh soil and water conservation district board members, some of our elected greens around the country. Um how would what you're saying differ from that? People in the thirty six sections would form their own local government on for local control, local preservation, um, for land use. And you'd have uh -huh. a lot of issues resolved because sometimes what might be good for a county ordinance or a state ordinance or RCD or these others, soil conservation districts, what, what's wide and sweeping may not apply necessarily in other townships. It would be a way to utilize land optimally so people can provide for themselves in a better way instead of having to get pushed into the cities so much to get jobs. It's, I, mean, I, just, I just go back to my, my grandpa was born in 1901. They, they thrived during the Great Depression. They they were they only had 160 acres, you know it's possible. But you know I, I want to get on to my next question about welfare. 
I'm not sorry, welfare. Okay. Minimum wage, okay? So you got people crowding into the cities. In my view, they can't access and utilize the land. So they're in the cities trying to get jobs. Okay. Two, uh, three, third, fourth, fifth generation people in the cities. There are people, and this is what frustrates me, okay? It's not you. It just frustrates to me. Some people, um, they goofed off a lot in high school. They drank, they partied. Maybe they got their girlfriend pregnant, whatever. And then they get into the real world and they're working at, uh, say, Taco Bell. They don't have any drive to better themselves. They don't want to go to college. I mean, so many nights I only got five hours of sleep in college. It was brutal. It was tough. But I did it. I can charge 99 bucks an hour in this very poor county when I have clients. But, you know, those people that never try to better themselves, next thing you know, uh, you know, they're 21, they get their girlfriend pregnant, and then they get married, and they're stuck in this job. They never really did anything to better themselves. Would you support a different type of minimum wage where, okay, if you're going to college, you get, you know, $2 an hour minimum wage boost. Um, you people who did nothing with your life and sat around and partied, now you're expecting something from others to make up for your folly. I'm sorry, I don't have any more to say than that. Just part of your life away until, oh, my gosh, i got a kid on the way, you know. Um, is there a way to differentiate this? Because I... I per, I just don't believe government should make up for people's idiocy. Um, I, I, is there any way to differentiate the minimum wage, increasing more pay for those who are going to college or bettering themselves? Well, I, I think that historically that the private sector is what's supposed to take care of that in that, you know, the employer is supposed to look at, Two different people, and here's one with a college with college education. Here's one without college education, and the, they generally would pay more for the better educated person. Um, so that I mean, that's historically what's happened. But what we have in the United States today is that people don't see a path towards that that higher future that you're talking about. They people don't. There's a lot of people who aren't who don't have a lot of ambition, but part of the reason they don't have ambition is they don't see a path for getting ahead in America today. You know, they don't see uh, people getting good jobs and and, and moving up uh, in terms of education and, uh, you know, and opportunity. So I think that what we have to do is, is sort of bring back a culture of, of uh, of done with your own life of self reliance. I mean, one of our ten key principles is personal and global responsibility. So, I mean, yes, we want to increase the minimum wage, but no, it's not because we want everybody dependent on the government to to do their work for them. Um, well, you well, know, how, how about this? How about this? I, I'm just throwing out just some imaginary legislation because um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people are for, a lot of people are against. I'm like, why don't we split this out? Okay, if you're taking one college class a semester, just one, you get a $2 minimum. You get a $2 raise more than the guy that didn't. that's not wanting to better himself. That's a simple thing. You're taking one class, you do that for 10 years, you're going to have a degree. It's, it's yeah. an incentive program, if you will, and it also helped them pay for college. It helped them pay back their college, college loans, what have you. It's not very expensive to take one class. i got a buddy, he's like... Gosh, I think he's fifty something. 
he's taking mm-hmm. uh, three classes this spring, and he's mm-hmm. telling me all about it, his math, his business, his English class. Really interesting what he's learning, and he's obviously trying to better himself. And so right. I, I'm just throwing this out as a different alternative, if you will. You want to go to college, what, just one class, one class a semester, you get a $2 minimum wage increase. The rest of you, sorry. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. You know, it's an interesting idea. I'm, I'm not going to embrace it, you know, wholeheartedly right now. I have, I'm going to have to think about that, but I, I like the, the basic premise of it, basically rewarding people for continuing to, to get education. And again, that's something historically the private sector used to do. Um, you know, companies used to actually pay you if you a little more if you went to college, and some companies would even pay your college tuition because they wanted workers that were better educated mm-hmm. and able to. Yeah, the you know, company I worked it contributes to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so. So you know, I, I like the basic idea. Um, it's, it sounds tempting, but I, I, I have to think about it before, <laughs> before to say yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's add on to your idea because I remember George when I was an uh, engineering firm I worked for down in Rancho Cordova, part of Sacramento there. And George eventually, when he started, came in the door with a CAD, uh, CAD certificate, AutoCAD, and he was drawing drawings for, and he was you know, a pretty good guy, kept himself. Well, next thing you know. The company would pay for his, his uh, classes. Next thing you know, he had a civil engineering degree. I was like, that was so cool. So maybe mm-hmm. there's, you know, on, on the on the corporate legislation, if you will, tax benefits for those who send kids to college. Mhm. Mhm. That's uh, that sounds interesting. I, I kind of like that. Yeah. I, what, one of yeah, the basic I, premise I'm saying is, look, if you're trying to improve yourself, maybe the government should try to help some way. And reward I those agree. who are trying to improve themselves. Yeah, That's yeah, I, 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 I definitely agree that. And and as a, you know, the whole country. I mean, we can all use more education just because there's actually a lot more knowledge around than than there used to be because we're learning new stuff all the time about, you know, science and and technology and and the technology keeps changing. So yeah, anything things that we can do through the government to encourage people to go to school. I support. Now, that does bring us to the flip side of that, though. The dark side is that a lot of people are going to college uh, and taking out a lot of loans to try to go to college, but then once they get out, they can't they can't find a job that pays uh, them enough to pay back those loans. And so, you know, we've got literally millions of people that are trying that path, but because of the, the debt they went into to get the education, instead of going up, they're actually going down. Uh, you know, people that are falling behind and not able to pay even the interest on their loans, so the loans keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, you know, these aren't people without ambition. I mean, that's why they went to school, because they wanted to better themselves, but we're not all finding yeah. the, the good-paying jobs yet, so. Yeah, I know. Well, so, yeah, again, I gotta that's another place I think the government can help. What? Yeah. I got to give you a compliment because um, although your voice is a little bit different, I think you're pretty well spoken. Oh, <laughs> well, the thank way you. you communicate, thank you. yeah. Thank you very much. Well, Robert, my time with Mr. Okay, uh, at this I'll point, remember, you know, you. Um, go ahead. But well, at this point, uh, we may, you know, we may have uh, someone listening who I've been. Uh, 
uh, person I was talking about uh, on Facebook. Uh, perhaps uh, he's listening. That would be interesting. Hopefully he's getting uh, some education here and to uh, people here as the Green Party. Uh, so we'll hear what uh, he has anything to say on Facebook. Uh, so I just read uh, his post. We'll see. Eh, re- regardless, uh, as we are out there, Bob, we appreciate you coming to the show. If you'd really like to be a part of the conversation, chime in. And you can talk to all of us at 347-945-7428. Uh, of course, uh, he is alluding to that saying I'm somehow a liberal. Of course, people who have been listening to the show since 2012 uh, that I've uh, been doing the show, they'll know that that is indeed not the case. So if you are listening, Bob, thank you for coming to the show. We appreciate you listening. Uh, and so keep posting on Facebook. If you'd like to chime in, give us a call, push that one on the number dial. We'd be more than happy to come in. And if you indeed want to see uh, my conservatism, as you doubt, go ahead and listen to the uh, podcasts that are all there for you to listen to. Uh, for the past four years. So definitely uh, check that out. Now, one of the questions I want to, to bring up, and then before we bring this thing back around to Susan, Susan, I want you to bring up uh, the issue we covered uh, some time ago about people who were just trying to collect their own water and how the government uh, was interfering with them being able to do that. I think that may be a point of interest uh, to our guests. Uh, and so let's go ahead and ask this question. Now, let's say, you know, you were to get uh, a, a part in the Senate. Now, one of the things you will be talking about, and you, you mentioned this about war and peace and things of that nature on your website. So let's say you're on the, you know, you're there in the Senate and you're representing uh, the Green Party and, of course, your constituents. How would you, and this is something totally awful we've been talking about this, we're talking about national security here, and, of course, at this point I'm talking about ISIS. Uh, if you're in the position to uh, advise or, or vote for something, you know, f- to the president, let's say you're advising the president, what would you advise the president to do about ISIS? Mm-hmm. Well, ISIS is a, an organization that pays their um, soldiers in American dollars. They fund themselves by selling oil on the international market. Um, it's it's really a, a big business. As you know, it's not just the, these uh, jihadists. It's it's the religion is being used as a front for a, a really a multi-billion-dollar criminal organization, and so you know my take on ISIS is is we cut off the money, you know we cut off we we send our ships in not to attack ISIS, but to capture their oil tankers, you know cut cut off their funding, cut off their connections with Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, tell the tell the Middle Eastern countries that are supporting ISIS that you know if you continue to support ISIS, you know you will also be uh, uh, banned internationally. You know we will stop buying your oil, which we could do right now because there's a, a glut internationally. So essentially, what I would do is look at the structural, as the systematic ways to cut off that organization first and, and, you know, not who do we kill in order to, to, to stop ISIS. Uh, because, you know, every time we send in the drones and, and kill, you know, one person, 
we're killing other innocent people at the same time, and we're making new enemies. And there's just this cycle of violence that that has to stop. And so I would do everything I could to to find nonviolent but effective ways to to stop that organization. And the first of all, one of the first ways to do this is actually to get off the oil kick to 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 break our oil addiction. Because, you know, if we were self-reliant for our energy, if we used geothermal and solar and wind, then the oil in Syria wouldn't be worth fighting over. And so then, you know, Russia would pull out and, you know, Syria wouldn't be able to afford to control its people. So, so that you know, basically the, the revolution against the Syrian dictator could have succeeded had he not been backed up by all the Russian uh, military. And so, you know, if Russia didn't think Syria was worth fighting for, things would not have degenerated to the point where ISIS could get a hold in that country and uh, essentially create chaos. So it's a complicated answer. It's not as simple as I would send in bombers, which, you know, I would never support. Um, But I think this that's the sort of thing we have to do if we really want to stop these conflicts and stop these organizations. We have to get our reliance off the Middle Eastern countries. We have to provide our own energy independence. And then a lot of these conflicts, once they're not being funded by both sides, will dry up. Um, There was a... I had an example. When I was younger, you know, there was the conflict in Nicaragua. uh, And that was... a in El Salvador, and that was a really an eye-opener for me because we were having this proxy war down there. There were death squads. Uh, there were people fighting, people being killed by the thousands. Then the Soviet Union collapsed, and so one of the sides that was fueling the conflict in this other small country suddenly pulled out, and once one side pulled out, all of a sudden this war that had been going on for, you know, decades just stopped because, you know, people weren't funding both sides anymore. And so I think that's that's a key, is to not have people supporting both sides, not have other countries in there giving weapons and, and money uh, to keep the fight going. I think if you can cut those sources off for the... the okay, hold on a second. Someone's scratching in the... Real quick. Someone's scratching or something in the background. If you can mute your or Mike uh, with doing that, I'd appreciate it. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. Well, that's basically that's basically where I was going. Um, basically, I would work to fight to to cut off the the support for ISIS, the monetary support. And I think if we succeed in doing that, ISIS will actually just dry up and go away. Okay. So let's go ahead and uh, bring it back over to you, Susan, as promised. Uh, do you tell them about the uh, – and I want to get your thoughts on, on this water issue. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to say that I do um, agree with them on their stance on TPP, NAFTA, and all those because I am against it too. <laughs> you might be interested to know that uh, – there's a variety of people from Bernie Sanders to the John Birch Society that stand against those things. Um, now, as to the water, I did a blog article and was on the show 
um, in many places, it's illegal to get correct rainwater. It is illegal to build your own ponds on your own land to let rain fall in it. Um, my goodness, I mean, what do you think of that? In Seattle now, which is a liberal city, they do give you rain barrels to catch rain. But in other places, they have, you know, been in trouble in order to get rid of it. Just for catching rain to wash some cars at a car dealership, in fact, uh, was they got he got in trouble. And that was in Utah. So um, do you think the government should be able to tell you whether you can collect rainwater on your own property or not? I would say that I don't agree with the government in this case. I would say that if someone wants to collect rainwater in a rain barrel or a cistern, uh, people have been doing that for thousands of years. It's, it's one of the things human beings do. So um, it it sounds like it's part and parcel with, uh, you know, some states and some municipalities are trying to pass laws saying that you can't uh, go off the grid, for example, that you have to stay connected to the electrical grid. And then uh, here in Ohio, the state legislature just passed a law that essentially makes wind farm development impossible in the in the state of Ohio. They say that you have to have at least a, a quarter mile to the nearest property line from a wind turbine in every direction. So you have to have, you know, a, a piece of property that's at least a, mi- a half mile squared on all sides just to put one turbine in the middle. Um, and so getting 10 turbines in a row becomes almost impossible. You have to own unbelievable amounts of land to do that. So I think that there's a lot of legislation that's trying to prevent Americans from being self-reliant. Um, like in, in Nevada, where they just uh, passed a law that makes that now they charge you if you put electricity onto the grid through your solar panels. And, and so, you know, they had a booming solar power business going on in, in Nevada, and then they passed this law, and all of a sudden, you know, now who could afford to pay to give power to somebody else? And so, you know, <laughs> that's ridiculous. I, I yeah, is, yeah. I think that this is is part of what's going on with the corporate agenda. Because who who doesn't want you to uh, be able to collect your own rainwater? Well, I, I think probably it's the private water companies that have been, uh, you know, trying to control that most vital resource. So that's what I think of that law. <laughs> And John, let me mm, answer, okay. Jack. Uh, but go ahead, Susan. You want to respond? I was going to say that's that's good. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like I said, one of our ten, ten key principles ahead, is Jeff. personal. Yeah, one of our ten key principles is personal responsibility, and you know, and community-based economics, locally-based economics, and so, you know, we need to switch to a, a system where we're all both consuming and producing. You know, if you have solar panels on your house and you're, you know, sometimes you're producing more than you use. And so, you know, you should get paid for that. And um, if we can do that and have a decentralized energy system, 
um, you know, we're all we're actually going to have a stronger grid. We're going to have more power, and uh, than we do now with our our centralized plants that can break down, or you know, the lines can be broken, and then you know, huge areas get blacked out. So, um, you know, self-reliance is part of being a green. So that's. And one thing I want, I want to kind of bring it back to a subject we touched uh, barely. But 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 not a lot because I'm gonna know what uh, you know the standpoint is of of the party itself and perhaps yourself and they may coincide uh, is that when of course when it comes to illegal immigrants and I did notice on your website you actually use the term uh, which a lot of folks at least in the Democrat Party uh, do not use uh, the term illegals. Uh, what's your thoughts on what we should do with the border and the illegal immigrants here uh, in the United States? with Jill Stein in that I think what we need to do is look uh, beyond the border. We have to look at what's going on in these countries that's forcing people to try to escape. I mean, it's one thing for for people to come legally immigrate to the United States because they they want to do things that they can do here uh, that they're very difficult to do in other parts of the world. I mean, I think our country is a lot better off for the immigrants to come in and they start businesses and they become American citizens. And, you know, they, you know, I know, I know a lot of immigrants that work incredibly hard at, at running their own businesses and, and creating opportunities for people. I think America profits from that kind of immigration. On the other hand, people that come here because they feel they have to, that they have no choice because things have uh, devolved in their country, you know, such as drug lords taking over and uh, their economies collapsing. You know, I think we have to look at those situations and take some responsibility for them and help people stabilize those countries. I think that is the, the real solution to illegal immigration because I, I, you know, like a few years ago when all those children were coming over unaccompanied, People don't send their children off to try to emigrate, you know, to travel thousands of miles by themselves because they want to, you know, or, you know, they, they do that because they feel that they have to. They've got no choice. Um, and so we have to help bring that choice back to them, which means we have to take on the drug economy. We have to, um, we have to take on the, the, the drug lords. We have to look at ourselves, at our own country, and look at our responsibility in fueling things like the, the drug uh, companies that, or the drug cartels that are in Mexico and, and, and the other parts of uh, Middle America and South America. And we have to stop creating the situations with our dollars and with our foreign policies that cause these other countries to collapse, that force them to try to then immigrate to the United States. So that's, you know, I take a, a longer term answer. Uh, on the short term, I don't want to send people back to situations where, you know, it's intolerable, to, to situations where it's unlivable. So mass deportations, I'm, I'm opposed to mass deportations. Um, on, the, on the third hand, though, I do realize that what has practically been happening in the United States is that 
a lot of illegal immigrants who work for subminimum wage are essentially creating a an underground economy, a, a, a low, super low wage economy, and that does drag the whole economy down. Deal with that situation. Uh, mostly, I think we have to deal with that situation through the employers because they're the ones that are, are willing to take on these, uh, to, uh, take on illegal immigrants at subminimum wage. And it doesn't matter how big the company is that's doing this. We need to go after them. So, again, it's a complicated issue. Uh, We've got to look at a lot of factors in it. We're just building a wall is not going to do it. So, um, because humans are extremely resourceful. You know, if they feel like they, they've got to escape, they will figure out a way under a wall or over a wall or around a wall. Um, we're just too smart <laughs> to have a wall to solve this immigration problem. So, um Long, complicated answer, but that's what I'm giving. No, that's fine. It's and it is. It's something that the uh, the two parties hasn't really done anything for quite some about for quite some time. Oh, but but a, a couple more questions on that for me is that that kind of arose during your you know our conversation is that uh, one of the things is you know for those who are not um, for those who are not. Uh, working, you know, they're either on the welfare system, which I don't know how you can get welfare if you're illegal anyway, because you have to have, you know, security numbers, things of that nature, be be able to get on it. Two is that, you know, also being in the education system, you're going to the schools, so you got to have uh, things for that as well. And then of course, medical, you know, medical, they go into the hospitals, you know, for things that you know that we end up have to pay for the system ends up have to pay for so it's it's a it's a drain on the economy they have all these illegals in and then one of the uh so one what's your you know thoughts on that i mean is where is you know our responsibility to give uh the folks money when we have people who are citizens who are starving and then also you have folks like uh hillary clinton who are saying that uh they think that Obamacare should be given to uh, illegals. Uh, she's also saying that she believes illegals should get in-state. Whoever's making that noise in the background, please uh, shut off your mic. Um, and then also for those who uh, – that she, you know, she states that for those uh, states that are willing to give in-state tuition to illegals uh, when they don't even give that to our own citizens – and three is they're trying to get where illegals can vote, and they're not even citizens of our country. What's your thoughts on those? Well, or is there, does the that, party have a stance on that? Well, one important thing to know about the Green Party, and I, I maybe should have said this uh, at the beginning, is that we are one of our principles is decentralization. So really. We have our ten key principles, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll run through them real quick. They're grassroots democracy, social justice, ecological wisdom, nonviolence, decentralization, locally based economics, feminism, diversity, personal and global responsibility, and future focus. So all Greens have those um, ten key principles, but 
it's up to each green and each group of greens to decide what exactly that means for their group of greens and, and their uh, individual greenness, I guess you could say. Um, so, I mean, we have a central party and we have a platform, but part of the reason we do that is because we're required to do those sorts of things in order to maintain a party status. So I'm answering to the best of my ability as a Green, and I'm not going to always agree with the, the, the National Party platform. And uh, actually no two Greens agree with each other completely. So, um, so I'm just doing the best I can to apply these principles. Uh, I think that citizens vote. I'm, you know, you go through the process, you become a United States citizen, and then you vote. Uh, I don't think you should be given the vote until you become a citizen. I think that a lot of people that have come here and have worked here for years and are uh, supporting the economy, um, even if they came illegally, they should be given a way to become citizens. But, again, I think that the long-term solution to this is to, to help the rest of the world be a tolerable place to live. Um, and so I, I think that we have to invest in the other countries that are that where refugees are flooding in from uh, in order to, in a long way, long-term way, substantially stop the flow of illegal immigrants. Um, hey, Joe. Yeah. Uh, also, I think I forgot. I should tell you. I think I need to beg off at midnight here. I. Uh, oh, sure. No, I understand. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we appreciate all the time uh, that you spend with us, and, and, and you know, I apologize. That's something I believe that we were corresponding on uh, the show as, as how much time you'd be able to uh, spend with us. We kind of, you know, could go on and on, and, and sometimes we could we could probably sit a fourth hour in the show if we had it. Um, but you <laughs> well, know. It's good. I, I like that. I'm really appreciating the quality of the questions and and the, you know basically the fact that your listeners are are people who participate in care. Um, you know, I, I that's so hard to find. Talk radio used to be a lot more like that, um, and I used to love talk radio, but I mean now it's become so you know rigidly uh, one way or another that uh, you don't really get the back and forth anymore from different angles. So well, I appreciate being on. That's true. Well, we appreciate you having on and as things go on, uh, hopefully we'll be able to have uh, yourself on again, uh, you know, to uh, to go over, see how the campaign is going, things of that nature. Um, and, and I'm probably going to be sending you a quick text uh, shortly after you get off the line. Um, I do want to ask you something off the air. Uh, and so, you know, we really, we really appreciate you coming on. And that's kind of one of the – one of the brands or one of the uh, goals of the show is, you know, one thing I can't stand is you get, you know, a person on, and that's why you'll notice that I don't call this the Robert Jetter show um, because it's not about the personality. We call it the grassroots we to people show. And that's the brand we're building here on Bard's logic. You know, the voice of the grassroots um, is also one of our sayings here and that, you know, that's what's you know important. And that is what the, the show is about. We, we, that's why one of the reasons we're trying to make it conversational to try to get people in as, as, as equally as, as we can. Um, so I really appreciate uh, you noticing that. But we do uh, want to wish you well. Definitely want to get you uh, back on the show again. And, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll be chatting again. 
All right. Well, thank you very much, Robert. And thanks to everybody I talked to. It was, it was a genuine pleasure. Thank you. Hey, Joe. Well, you're welcome. And, and then uh, we'll, uh, I'll get you the link uh, for the podcast if uh, there's any use you can uh, get with it. So, folks, yeah, definitely uh, check it real quick. Are you, are you still there, uh, Joe? Oh, we just missed him. I was going to see if he uh, had a website. But actually, um, I do have his website up here uh, that we can go, uh, folks can go to if you want to check more out about Joe. Uh, just go to, let's see, let's go to his homepage. And you can go to www.joemayerforagreenfuture.org. Uh, so go ahead and uh, check out his website. Now, one of the things uh, we also want to talk about, and who's got that noise going on in the background? I don't know who that is, and I wish they'd get that to stop. Um, but anyway, but don't hang up, though, because we are in the extended period. We are in Bard's Logic After Dark. And so let's make sure we don't lose any callers, because if we lose it, then we won't be able to get you back in. And I do see some more callers on there. So if you'd like to chime in, just push the one on the number dial, and we'll get you in. Now, one of the things I want to make sure we talk about tonight is the uh, what's going on now, you know, with the delegates and, and things of that nature, and what our thoughts are if there's going to be a broker convention. Now, Donald Trump did make a, you know, have a really big victory in New York, and he's actually closer uh, to becoming getting that 1237. Whether he will or not it remains to be seen, uh, but they're still talking about that. A broker convention. And now, of course, we've seen what happened in Colorado. Looks like much the same happened in Wyoming. Uh, and so, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, you got Bernie Sanders, who, you know, unfortunately, I mean, I'd rather run against Sanders and Hillary. I just think he'd be an easier candidate uh, for whoever the Republicans uh, nominate, or it should be the people nominating. But uh, one of the fights I'm having with this, this Bob guy on uh, Facebook. Is basically he's pointing out, and let's you know, let's talk about that. He's talking about the uh, party, you know, the two parties being private organizations. So in essence, what they're saying is that both of those really don't matter, you know, because the, the parties, you know, and the people in the party should pick who the nominee is. So why why even bother why they bother voting? John, what do you think about that? Hey. Yeah, what's your thought? Well, what's your thoughts on that, Joe? I mean, I mean, uh, John, that's a minute you're saying, Joe. Uh, what, yeah, what's your thoughts on that, uh, John? You know, we've, oh, we've got it here where I'm mean, talking to this guy or chatting with him, and he's saying, oh, well, these are, you know, and it's not just him. It's been other people who are stating, oh, and, you know, here's the thing. I invite these people onto the show. Don't think I don't. I invite these people onto the show, and none of them have the gonads. Now they're on Bard's Logic After Dark, and you know, uh, to actually come on and and talk with us about it. You know, I mean, they they have it, they got the link, but they just don't uh, come in to do it. They rather just bloviate. And you know what? And I'm I'm just kind of going off on a tangent here. But has anyone else here noticed that there's you know, because the people seem so much more involved on like Facebook and things of that nature, and, and really not just posting and liking and and, and not doing as much of the dialogue. Um, as they did maybe back in 2012. Has anyone else noticed that, uh, John and, and then Kelly? Did Susan drop? Hello? I'm what sorry, John. 
I mean, yeah, we'll bring in Susan, too, of course. But that's the order we're doing it. John, you, and then Susan. And we do see a couple other callers on. Uh, just push the one on your number dial. Or uh, if you are half Facebook and you want to do it through chat with me on Facebook so I can get out what you like to say, uh, you can do it that way. Go ahead, John. Okay. I just was trying to be sensitive to my fellow man since I thought she was before me. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> the 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 concern is to sometimes even myself. I struggle with being a presenter and not feeling very confident in my presentation skills. And sometimes people feel more comfortable being able to sit there and type whatever into their Facebook and or Twitter and send it that way, I guess, and then. Or maybe they're concerned that NSA is using some kind of voice recognition tracking system, and they don't want their voice on the, you know, call. I've had so people worry about that. Say, That's true. That way, if they say something, they can they their voice will not be recognized. You know, but so some of us can just use special voice, you know, electronics to manipulate our voice to make us sound like men when we may be women. Who knows? So is that what you're doing, John? <laughs> uh, I, I, no comment. <laughs> this is, you know, John is an alias, so there is a reason for this. But anyway, um, so you could actually question, be a, you could actually be a really pretty woman on the other line. I'm just kidding, John. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know you're kidding, but you could be true. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, in reference to the RNC or the immigration issue, which do you want me to tackle first? Oh, the the, the RNC, definitely, and, and what's going on there. Yeah, well, to me, it goes back to the same issue that we're having with our Congress and Senate and President, all these people that are supposed to be representing us. We, the people, our whole founding and the spirit of our country is founded in the bloodshed that came right before the Declaration of Independence. And that bloodshed was catered to the fact that in the spirit of them at the point in time, every living human being in the 13 colonies were saying, hey, we're all equal and we're all going to fight to, you know, treat each other as equals. And that's why... All men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, blah, blah, blah. And our Constitution or our Declaration of Independence goes on to say that um, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Well, we the people are being nullified to a horse and, or a dog and pony show because when all you go do is vote, and then the person goes into office and he doesn't advocate for you anymore, you become a legislative slave. So therefore they rip you off for your your, intellect, your intellectual property, you know, your IP that you own, which is self-governance. So they circumvent, embezzle your IP, your right to self-govern from you by just doing this dog and pony show for you to vote so then the representative can get into office if he gets the 1237 or whatnot to to do what he wants to do and put his will into law and neglect, including yours, mutually and reciprocally, you know, enacted, codified, and ratified, so you're an equal citizen. Well, apparently the RNC and the party insiders, people that agree with that, they don't 
um, support the Declaration of Independence or the benefits of our Constitution either. But they want those benefits. They love getting those benefits, but they don't want to extend them to others. They just want to pull some kind of legal trickery, dickery dock, and say that once all these people have voted, then they get to appoint the delegates, and the delegates are, well, I'm not sure I understand the details about the RNC and how they appoint delegates if it's, you know, I know this much. I've only been to a couple of county precinct meetings, and the big people that's in charge of orchestrating and managing it, the chairman, and then the different levels, they all are people that's been in there doing this stuff for a long time. So they're party insiders. And then they get their friends to come and be a part of it in order to make sure that they get to vote the people they want to vote into each of the delegate slots to make sure that no matter who the voters say they want elected, at some point the person that is the delegate is the people they actually want, not what the voters mm-hmm. want. See, it's, it's, to me, it's all about a group of an oligarchy of citizens I'm going to say the party insiders right now because it also includes a number of other people, big business people like it this way too because they can control 100. You know, right now the RNC, they get 112 delegates. It's a lot easier for the big business people to pay off 112 delegates and get all of them on board to elect the candidate they want than to pay off all of us voters. See, otherwise that's money out of our pocket because if you and I got to approve of every detail – then they'd have to pay all of us. But no, they pulled this shenanigans, so now they only have to deal with trying to satisfy the needs of 112 delegates. Now they can either threaten the delegate, if you don't do what I want to, I'll hurt your kid, or I'll do something, whatnot, you know, or they'll buy them off cheap, you know. So anyway, there's a big conflict of interest, and that's not equal justice. And that's a lack of due process. Where's the rest of us voters' right to due process, good faith negotiations, good faith bargaining, mutuality of agreement? That's been subversively circumvented. And then these, whoever these delegates are, they're getting nominated in some way. But the big party bosses and the big business people that fund all these campaigns and stuff, they're, they got their fingers on the back so they can – manipulate these 112 delegates to get what they want. Now, within reason, there's limits, but I don't want to take up too much time and hog the space here, so I'll... uh, Well, actually, we had to... Well, actually, Susan had to bid us farewell, because she had some things that she has to attend to. So, uh, unless... I think I see Cindy on the line, unless she's, uh, would like, or able to chime in. Um, and I see some others who are listening. Uh, if they'd like to chime in, push the one on the number dial. But until then, if not, it's just those three gentlemen for the rest of the show. So it's Robert Kelly and me, huh? That's what we're looking at right now. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it just goes back to the fact that there's the majority of us that are out here just living our lives thinking everything's you know, going a certain way and that we can actually trust and believe in the people that we elect into Congress, we're finally waking up that those people don't really have our best interests at heart, nor do they care, and somehow they've finagled a scam where they get immunity 
from their fiduciary agency relationship with us, and they don't actually have to advocate to us, apparently. I mean, I haven't looked into the details of law, so they're taking advantage of my lack of knowledge. So if that's called American by railroading your fellow American in order to manipulate the situation against your fellow American, then we're not America anymore. And that's why I all, I keep saying I'm one for all, all for one. I don't like railroading anybody. I, I think it's healthy that, Robert, you have different voices come together because the only way for us to make America stable again is when all of us buy in. And the only way you get anybody to buy in into anything is if you have a deliberative discussion and everybody goes, yeah, that idea is better than the one I was thinking. Yeah, let's do that. And then we're all on the same page. We're all in the same boat, rowing the United States of America together as united. So that's just, you know, my two cents. And I'm sure there's more to it, depending on what questions or what other statements, Kelly, or you might say that might think I need to say something from a different perspective because I'm just going on my idea. But as people give me feedback, I realized that, well, maybe I need to explain that from a different perspective because I'm not reading minds and I can't speak to all people in one city. But thank you for listening. I really well, we always appreciate it, John. Uh, go ahead, Kelly. Since you have, we'll do the, date, the debate format. Since you've been mentioned, you can go ahead and respond. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. Um, I wanted to ask Joe how old he was because uh, – I think it's 28. Or she. Now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, oh, boy. He seems like a neat guy, and he sounded absolutely really sincere, and he could communicate pretty well, you know. Um, what's the word I want to say? There's a couple issues I obviously disagree with him, okay, obviously. But, you know, there's some things. He's, he's got some points. Um, but, um, that's what I want to say. Um, got good intention, but, uh, deceived. <laughs> I mean, so I, what? I, that's why I just had to ask how old he was. I started to do that and then, uh, he had, he mentioned he had to go. So that was the end of that. But, you know, it's like, well, we have to be well, really got two kids in their twenties. Are you talking about Joe? Yeah. Our guest tonight. Well, he, he's got. Well, I think he's. I think he's uh, in his forties or something because he does have. He does have uh, some, at least his forties. He does have uh, some some children. He's got two children in their twenties. Okay. Well. Um, okay. Well, I was hoping he would be in his twenties. The. Um, and what do you think about our borders? Oh, you know, we have to really understand where they came from and. And we have to this and that. It's like, look, our freaking country's falling apart from within, and we need jobs. We don't need outside competition uh, taking all the jobs. In America, you know, we haven't had this thing called boundary. We haven't had anything called border. We haven't had this thing called let's take care of our own. Oh, the biggest issue we have here is NMP. Have you ever heard of NMP? No. You heard the, okay, you the phrase NMP? Well, you're all... No more people? I don't know. I started. 
Yeah, you've never heard of NMP. Not my problem. Okay? <laughs> oh, okay. Not my problem. You don't believe. I mean, if we start taking on everybody else's problems, we won't have time to solve our own, and our lives are going to be a complete disaster and a mess. And our kids are going to be neglected, and our neighbors are going to be neglected. Oh, like, look, not my problem. I'm sorry. The people in other countries, yeah, I feel for you. Yeah, I feel, okay, I'm sorry you're going through hell, and I'm sorry you got, you know, oh, that's right, you're the we the people in that other country, that, that we the people, not we, us we the people, that we the people. I'm sorry, you're allowing your country to go to hell in a handbasket. I mean, yeah, we're trying to prevent our own country from going to hell in a handbasket, and we've got our own problems enough we can't even solve. Oh, come on in, you know, and even let your culture come in and let you come and just kind of, oh, that's like, just go ahead and use America because all of us are rich. Oh, that's right. I'm a little bitter because yesterday I spent eight hours, that's 800 bucks. The guy didn't pay me a dime. He came from another country and I'm like, dude, you know, we had an agreement here, 800 bucks. I know you wanted to quit halfway through. Well, maybe I should get half of it. No. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, me too, dude. You come in and you're you using the country, you know, and it's not like yeah. that. What I'm saying is people who are not our problem, not my problem, not our problem, they're going to come in and they're going to use us and it's going to tear us apart. I experienced it yesterday. I'm still torqued about losing 800 bucks. You know, well, yeah, I'd be pretty pissed, ticked off too. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just really – so, oh, we got to feel for them and we got to understand that they – not my problem. Not my country. Those we the people need to deal with. Their problem with those we the people. We the people here have our own problems to deal with, and we're not doing well. Let's not let these jokers in our country unless they're legal. Sorry. I just I, That's why I had to ask how old Joel was. Oh, no. You get it. So is there any recourse uh, for you? Is there any recourse for you, Kelly? <laughs> yeah. He needs what he thought was his. Um, me and some buddies are going to buy the land next door. You want to buy it? Great. We bought it for five. We're going to sell you for sell it to you for twenty-five. <laughs> I don't care. Nothing illegal about it. Fine. You don't want to pay me? Buy the land next to you that you so desperately need that you thought was yours. Fine. I don't care. <laughs> Obviously, uh, yeah, because I didn't know whether you could put a, a, a lien on. Well, I didn't know if you could put a lien on his current uh, property or anything before. of that nature because they had your money. I've done a $7,500 lien against somebody who was freaking took a whole bunch of money and snuffed it up his nose, and I got a judgment, mm. and I never collected. Our judicial system is a mess. So, oh, yeah, I could lien it, but even a contractor said, yeah, I tried that. And the, the only people that win are the attorneys. So, yeah. okay, I lost a day in a life trying to help somebody. This nice little compassionate, oh, let's let these people in. I don't even know if he's legal. Well, let's let these people in. be wonderful. Yeah, the guy just F'd me. I mean, come on. Yeah, I did want to find out about, um, you know, I did want to find out, you know, about what he thought of, the, you know, the uh, the refugees. But we, we we ran out of time for that. And, I mean, I mean, I got to admit, I mean, I appreciate the guy coming on. Uh, I mean, to a conservative show. I think he had a, an idea that it was a conservative show. And plus, I mean, the guy stayed on him was two hours with us. So, he, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm happy he was able to do that. And yeah, I don't Of course, I don't agree with a hundred percent. There's a lot of stuff I don't agree with. Uh, I mean, in, in some of those points you made on, you know, the, the $15 an hour, an hour, 
you know, raise the minimum wage. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, he didn't have me convinced because I keep going back to well, what about in fairness to people who's been working uh, for 27 years with the company, and then they're like, well, you know, we got to give these people a raise, but we can't. We can't afford to. Well, that's the thing. If they're going to be giving all these other people raises, how are they going to be able to afford? to give raises to the people who've been working there longer. They, they won't be able to afford it. The correct answer is it depends. The correct answer does, depends upon the business, the type of business, the amount of sales, how greedy the owners are. Um, there's all sorts of factors. If I had a ton of money, I'd buy a local manufacturing firm, and I'd just like, okay, everybody, you're getting paid double what you're getting paid now because, you know, freaking the guy, the owner's making a million dollars a month. Wow. This is a joke. How many millions do you need, dude? Let's pay your people better. Oh, that's right. You just keep rolling people in and out the door, in and out the door. The problem with government, you cannot control people's individual greed. And you can't control the people have chosen to work minimum wage. You can't control this. You can't control people blew off their life. They could have went to college or they could have worked their way through college or taken one class a year while we're going to talk about there are two. You know, no, I mean, yeah, I agree with that, control. and I agree at that point too. I mean, you, you can't. The government. No, I agree. With, I, I agree at that point too. And and then and then the government. I'm sorry, I'm ranting right now. And then the government is supposed to come in and fix these problems. I'm sorry. Ten years ago, dude, you chose to smoke pot and sit around and party with your friends. Okay, I'm sorry, but that's enough of that. Okay, government's not going to make up for you having a good time, party time. Oh, that's right, you made three kids. As a, as, you know, as a woman you never marry, and you're getting uh, child support deducted from all your paychecks, government's not going to make up for that. You made that choice. That is your decision. I ain't going to pay for it. That's the end of my rant. <laughs> and that's okay. One of the things I definitely wanted to, uh, to talk about is, you know, do, we, do you think that, uh, you know, Donald Trump's uh, campaign is in some way because he's really putting a light, a shining light on. Of course, right now the Democrat, but I think he's even kind of shining light a little bit on the. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Let me backtrack. Uh, he, he's definitely showing, you know, a shining a light on the Republican system of nomination. And, and, and it, 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 I guess it doesn't surprise me that people are, you know, oh, it's rules that's been around for 150 years. Well, you know what? How long was a, a slavery around? And people say, well, you know, that that wasn't good. Like, well, okay. You know, so hey, so that got you know proven out, and so just because these roles have been around for a long time doesn't mean that they're the best way of, of picking a candidate. So basically, you're asking these people to, to vote for somebody who they really don't care for. That's why you have a Republican primary. And one of the things that Republicans need to remember is that you know what? Not everybody voting in the general election is going to be a, a Republican. Frankly, most of them will not be. And so if you want to have, you know, a candidate that could possibly beat the opposition when you only have two parties, you better have one who, you know, that more than just Republicans are going to vote for, especially when, you know, a lot of them are uh, independents. Now, one of the uh, talking heads, I can't remember if it was, I think it was on Fox News, uh, perhaps, is that they're like, oh, well, or something Ted Cruz or somebody's pointing out like, oh, well, Oh, who was it? Um, I can't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. It's Brian Fox's. But the point they're making is that, oh, well, Trump's narrative that he can win Florida is false because – not Florida. 
can win New York in a general election is false because Hillary Clinton got 600,000 votes, and he only got 400,000 votes, so she would beat him in New York. Ah, but both were closed, both were closed primaries. Three million independents didn't vote. Three million. Okay, so a lot of those uh, independents, and I would say more than 50% of those independents, I think, would go to Donald Trump. So I would say that, you know, if you have most of those going to Donald Trump, he could take New York. Here's the thing. Donald Trump could take New York. Ted Cruz couldn't. Let's, let's, just, be, let's just put that on the table. Ted Cruz could not win New York. Just won't in the general election. Well, can't happen. Uh, just like Ted Cruz can't take California. And I think uh, Donald Trump would have a, a shot in California uh, to win, you know, much like Reagan did. Now, I'm not, you know, con- comparing him to Reagan, but I think he, he would have a shot uh, in winning that. And, and don't they want to – I mean, isn't, you know, what the Republicans are supposed to do? Isn't their goal is to beat the Democrat? Well, then why would you put up someone who can't beat the Democrat? I mean, you know, uh, now Ted Cruz could possibly turn some states – from red, you know, I mean, some blue to red. I mean, they could do Ohio, for instance. But do you want to rely, I mean, do you really want to rely on just one or two states to be able to try to take them in a general election and, and, and hope you win those two, you know, two flip, just flip two states than what they normally vote for? I mean, wouldn't you rather have a, a larger buffer uh, on victory for that? That's what I would think. And what it is is basically uh, in the in the Republican or Democrat Party, it's the political class who are saying, eh, we don't care about the voters. This is who we want to put up, and you're just going to have to deal with it because that's our roles. And so one of the things I think that, Bar, you know, that, that Trump's bringing out is about, you know, people thinking, hey, wait a minute, maybe these rules aren't uh, good for the voters. I mean, because we've already heard, well, why why bother voting if you guys are going to end up picking the person that you want anyway? Robert. Yes. I, th- I think they do care about the voters just to put on the dog and pony show and to get you to send in money because that's how they finance yeah, yeah. the RNC. They get you to they get enough of us, you know, millions of us to send in the money to the RNC to fund them and their, you know, this little party insider group that neglects their own party. I don't know if we, the people that signed up as Republicans, go to vote and we're not a part of the, um, well, I'm like, are we a part of the party? Then why is it that they are making all the rules decisions and they're not including us in anything except this dog and pony voting and taking our money? Do you know? Oh no, that, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, that, that, no, yeah, that's the reason they care know, for us. Do Do you know if they consider us voters as actual members of the party? We're registered Republicans and we go vote as such, but are we considered members of the party, or are we just a pawn in their scams? They're fraud. I think you're uh, fodder, I guess. Boots on the ground is is, is what you are. The people to give money to money to the campaigns. I think, and, you know, and, and you're hearing this a lot. And I'm sure we all you are. 
you know, because I, I know you're paying attention, is that oh well, you know, you've got all these grant, you know, now, now you got the now you got the this is what I find ironic. Now you got the establishment, you know, media, the so-called conservative media, which is actually a, a show for the RNC, right? Is they're saying, you know, you hear them saying like, oh well, this is the great, this is some of the establishment. Oh well, this is. This is a grassroots. This isn't just you know party hacks and this and that. This is a grassroots boots on the ground. You know people who are you know go to the county meetings and go with the you know the precincts and things of that nature. And some of that may be the case, but then you wonder, okay, well they're talking to these folks, right? And I didn't hear I didn't hear them talking about these county precinct people and these grassroots people when they were trying to get when they were trying to keep Romney. Uh, trying to keep a broker convention from Romney, I didn't hear anybody well, talking about uh, talking about that or doing anything well, to the, the delegates for Ron Paul. Well, also, I mean, it may be my own ignorance, but the couple of times I went to a county precinct meeting, I don't remember anybody really explaining anything or handing me a rule book or anything. I remember him standing up talking and saying a lot of this, and then everybody else is sitting at their tables talking to each other, so it's kind of confusing and distracting. And if you do have a question, some of them at your table, they just say, oh, they'll get to that a little later. And then you never get a chance really to solidify an answer for any question you have. And that's why I still was wondering, well, you know, if I'm just a voter, am I actually a part of the – am I a member of the party? I don't know, you know. Well, that's a good question because I, th- I think a lot of people would be asking themselves that because they're like, well, wait a minute, I've been voting Republican for years, but unless you're a part of that 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 system, good question. Are you really do they do they really consider you a Republican? Okay, well, actually, you know when, when, it, when it comes to when it comes to picking the nominee, or actually setting the rules to which the you know the way things work. Because, you know, they have these rules committee for the convention, and they have these different other committees for different aspects. There's like three or four different committee groups that impact this convention. And part of them are party party rules, and then part of them are convention rules, and then certain parts are delegate committee party rules. So it, who makes all these rules? It's very, it, You know, it's like if all of us voters – that register as Republicans are actually members to the party, then shouldn't all of us have a s- approval on the rules that's going to determine who our nominee is going to be? Or is it only an well, no, because it's a pri- Well, because it's a private organization is what people are saying. Oh, that's a private yeah, organization. They can do what they want. And, you know, if you're going to be a part of it, you got to do their, it's their roles. And, but yeah, I get it. But you, you guys got to remember this, this private organization isn't like you know the lodge down the street. You know what I mean? It's not. Yeah, it's, it's not even the. It's not even the NRA. It's not even the, the, an organization like the National Rifles Association. We're talking. About, we're not talking. Or, or the CEO of a company. This one guy's like, oh well, is Donald Trump going to have the voters vote for who his CEO is of the company? Well, no, because the CEO of his company is not going to be the one representing the nation. Yeah, so you problem. can't you can't compare that. But the the problem with that um, idea is that his private company is his company. The government of the United States is all of we the people's property. 
So we have standing. We are real, proper parties with something to win or loss, you know, to gain. Because it's governance that will be inflicted upon us either against our will or otherwise. And so, therefore, when it comes to the things that create the founding of our country, it's all of us. So they, that, that, that's not apples and apples. A private company ha- should have the right to decide for themselves these things. But when you're talking about the governing of our country and all Americans are legal citizens, that's a different story because our country is our company and we're all equal, equal share owners in the property of governance. That's why the Declaration of Independence is worded the way it's worded. But we've been hijacked, like you were saying earlier, just because certain entities say it's okay to do whatever, and you used the uh, example of slavery for the last hundred-some-odd years before it was abolished in 1863. That doesn't make it right. So just because they've been getting away with legislative rape and coercion and extortion and embezzlement, and we just now are waking up to realize it doesn't make that all those years in the past that it was right and just because it set precedents that they should go ahead and let it happen. That's nonsense. But there's there's no you can't equate the same. The personal uh, uh, company and the country, the ownership and, and stuff is different. And you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and then they got these these yahoos like Bob May on. Uh, now go ahead and give the guy's name because now he's just starting to annoy me. Uh, <laughs> Bob May on Facebook, uh, who's you know trying to you know make it out as if you know all of these parties and um, they're you know private organizations. Would you had a CEO? Who um, and then he's trying to say because I have a Green Party candidate on there, I'm somehow trying to bring uh, liberal values or equate liberal values of the '60s into the conservative party of today. It's like you know what? Hit the guy. The guy's work talking in a vacuum. The, you you won't come to the show. You won't listen to the shows, and yet you think you can make an opinion on it. You know the thing is, is and that's what's another problem with our political system. These yahoos who who think that by just by posting on Facebook and not actually doing anything. They think they're a part of the system. Is they don't do enough research, to, and they continually take things out of context. They'll see a post, or they'll see an article, and they'll like, or they'll read the title without even, and they'll make a comment without even reading the article, or not even glancing through the article, or not even, or they'll see something about Trump or something. It's like, oh yeah, look at this. Like you're taking what he said out of context. They don't even bother to take the time to research into it. You know, they just they have one thing and they make presumptions, you know. And so, yeah. and then they well, want to tout themselves as being somebody that's so intelligent, you know, by their assumptions off, you know, one little remark or something of that nature, as if they knew the whole story by that without even looking deeper. Yeah, well, does Kelly want to jump in? I don't want to hog this, otherwise I'm getting ready to respond. Well, I think you open up the mic to you, Kelly. Yeah. As I mentioned months ago, it's a win-win with Trump running because he's going to expose how bad the Republican Party is. If he wins, that's a bonus. The American people are going to be furious. 
and my my mother. Okay, my mother. What? Yeah, my mother. I I was shocked. That's why I'm saying what? Yeah, my mother. <clears throat> she's going. For, she's going to vote third party this time. She won't vote for Hillary. She won't vote for Bernie. She won't vote for Donald Trump. Third party, unless he promises to clean up the corruption. Um, I can't find a more definitive statement on the pulse of American politics than my mother. No to Hillary, no to Sanders, no to Trump, unless he promises to clean up the corruption. It's just like, she's so disgusted. I mean, I, yeah, we talked, just barely touched on politics, but we've had some really heart-connecting conversations about politics. I mean, this is a wonderful, amazing woman. She's, I have so much respect for her. And she just nailed it, you know. She's got a natural sense of growing up, growing up on an Iowa farm, um, living the same square mile for like 70 years of her life. Um, it, it, she's done. She's done. Um, she has high influence in the neighborhood. Think about this happening all over the country, okay? you got these really respectable elderly people they don't say very much about politics, but when they do, you pipe up and listen. All over the country, this is happening. Um, so it's a win-win. He exposes the game show of the Republican Party, Trump, that is. He might win. He might not. It's still, there's, okay, July, July 18th is the big Republican National Convention in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Okay, it goes on for a few days. Okay, more exposure more everything, and the Republicans are backed into a corner. It's almost, almost, it's, it's a few moves away from checkmate, you know, unless something happens, something does something stupid, or I don't know what happens, but, you know, the Republicans are just finally, finally, win-win. Trump's exposing the game show. Somebody else yeah, and I, and I think this is just a continue. I think this is a continuation of you know what they did in 2012. You know, it makes you wonder what the, what they're going to do in the in the upcoming roles, in the upcoming roles meeting. Do, do you want to hear the shocker that I found out after last week's call? What's that? This is a shocker. For about a half an hour, I had to go for a walk, go around. I was like, what? Oh, my gosh. All right, so <clears throat> Jim Condit, him and others were watching the vote. 2012, we exposed that they just kind of added some votes for Mitt Romney in Iowa, and then they had to reverse the elections because one of our members exposed it, got on CNN. Oh, we do a recount. Oh, whoops, we're sorry. Centaur won. Oh, little mistake there. Oh, sorry, that's after New Hampshire. And Anyway. So that was a big exposure, simply the first time in American history where a party reversed their primary winner in a state. First time in American history. So watch the vote. That's us. And we made contact with a number of people who have watched for electronic election fraud. It's, it's more than I ever want to know. The bottom line is once you vote, turn a vote into electrons, it's so easily manipulated. And, of course, we should all rise mm-hmm. in a standing ovation for the, what, 9% now approval of Congress? Yeah, something about electronic election machines. All right, anyway, so here's a shocker. Okay, I talked to Francois Choquette. Francois is, as you can tell, French, 
he's he's an engineer like me, and he's done a whole bunch of statistical work. He runs the analysis and, and notes where there's Richard Charnin's doing the same thing, Bab Harris. There's a number of people that are totally on this. <laughs> so I called him up and said, well, I'm trying to get prepared for doing something in California. Um, what's it like? Just left a message. Got a message back. Oh, it's just as bad as it was in 2012. Just as bad. So finally, I get a chance to talk to him, person person over the phone. Here's the trick. Here's the shocker. Are you ready? They are switching voter registration on the computers. In other words, you register for as a, as a Democrat, for example. You want to vote for Bernie Sanders. You're passionate about Bernie Sanders. You show up on voting day, you're handed a ballot. I'm not a Republican. Well, in this state, you can only vote for a Republican if you're registered Republican, so you can't vote for a Republican. I've never been a Republican. I've always been a Democrat. What? Oh, it must be some computer glitch. Yeah, I want to vote for Bernie Sanders today as a Democrat. You can't. In this state, it's a closed state, meaning in the primaries, if you are registered Republican, then and then only can you vote for a Republican. If you're registered for a, as a Democrat, then and then only can you vote for Democrat. You cannot cross party lines based on your registration. So people are hacking into the county election clerk's office, into the registration database, and they're flipping people from Republican to Democrat and Democrat to Republican. In other words, they nullify thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of votes. Hmm. Wouldn't you, Robert, if you were corrupt, which you're not, if you were corrupt, wouldn't you love to have your hands on that software and hire about 20 people, taking all your, all the people who are voting for your opposition? Ah, sorry, you can't vote at all now in the primaries. No, no doubt. Interesting. Yeah, definitely like to have Jim back on the show uh, to get over that have, stuff as well, just, certainly. We gotta get we gotta get Francis Washoquette because the way he found out he was the county election clerk one day, and somebody comes in and says, "What the heck's going on here?" And he's like at the counter looking around. This guy comes in. I'm not a Republican. Okay. Well, how did my registration get flipped? Oh, I don't know. Why don't we talk about this some more? Then another guy came mm-hmm. in. He was in a wheelchair, and he's like. Who changed me to a Republican? I hate Republicans. I am not a Republican. Why did you register me as a Republican? Boom. That's when he got it. That's when Francois, and he's an expert. I, I hold him in high regard. He didn't even know this was going on until he, and then he started thinking about it. And then you go on the web, and it's all over the freaking place. People are, Arizona is a real problem. New York's having problems already. They already. I guess they had their election today, but, or yesterday. But, gosh. Oh, that's right. Establishment. Oh my gosh, we—I don't know. It's, if they don't straighten up, I'm sorry. I, this is my prediction. I don't advocate this, but it's going to come to blood. Yeah. By the way, how did you know? Let's hope it don't come to that. But you know, oh, well, you know, and then of course they're saying, and then they try to say it's Trump who's, uh, uh, you know, he's. But sell about riots in the street and threatening violence and stuff like that. No, he's not saying that. Yeah, ain't that funny how you know they they talk about it, it's just it's so hypocritical. The things that they they you know they they blame other people for uh, is it, stuff that they're doing themselves. Like all you know, just like post this thing on Facebook. 
not the, not this Yahoo Bob made tonight, but, you know, people who, you know, they want to get on Trump about, you know, his name calling and this and that and what have you. And then we have folks, you know, saying, the, uh, don't you doing the same thing? It's like, wait a minute, you guys are the first people to rail about, you know, Trump's name calling. And the first thing you want to do is, 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 is call people a name and try to denigrate him, stuff like that. You know, it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, and all the, you know, and like I said, I invite this guy out. I invite this guy to come on to the show to the the talk. She doesn't have the you know the wherewithal to uh, to be able to come on and, and do it. So obviously, he just rather yeah. just post on Facebook. Do, do you know this thing where people um, where people have a certain dysfunction or human fault, and they blame it on somebody else and he accused somebody else. Do you know what it's called? Transference. Depending on the, depending on called, the, in, depending it's, on the, it's, it's, the issue, everybody has that problem at one point or another. Well, no, no. I mean, it, I mean, it's chronic. It's chronic where, okay, I screwed up. I did a really bad thing. I'm going to accuse somebody, like my spouse, I'm going to accuse somebody of doing this. When they never did, but I did it. it. Psychologists call it projection. They cannot handle uh-huh. that they did such wrong that they projected on somebody they think is strong enough to handle it, and then they accuse them of what they themselves did. It's called projection. It's a psychological sickness, and that's what's going on. What, what happened? Does anybody know what happened in New York uh, yesterday? With the, with the primary in New York? What about it? I mean, there's a lot of things. <laughs> Did Trump win? Was there something specific? Or... Oh, yeah, he won. Gosh, he destroyed it 60%. Yeah, he got 60%. Wow. Yeah, he got 80. Well, so far, he got 89. So far, he got 89 of the uh, 95 delegates. I think the two or three are still outstanding. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Hello? I'm here. Well, it looks like oh, we got to get ready to start doing some uh, some closing comments here. So we got about um, about 13 minutes left, so we'll go ahead and uh, take some of those. And we'll go ahead and go with you, Joe. I, I don't know why I keep calling Well, I know why I want to keep calling you, Joe, because there were the two Johns tonight. Uh, or, see, the two Js tonight. Uh, so we'll have to go ahead and finish off with some closing comments uh, about tonight. really appreciate you guys uh, coming on. Of course, uh, we are looking forward to our guest, uh, Dennis, uh, coming on. For, he's also from the Green Party for the U, uh, U.S. representative, so it'll be interesting to have him on. I tell you what, you thought this guy who we talked to tonight was interesting. Uh, no offense to Joe, but I think this other guy maybe even more so just for the very fact that, he definitely has one issue that I, he he's going to talk about that I'm really excited about, and he's one of the only candidates, actually the only candidate that I've heard from who was talking about us expanding our space program, which I kind of met, uh, met you know, which I did mention tonight. But this is actually part of this guy's platform is to do that, and so I definitely want to hear more from him, uh, more you know from him about that next week. 
uh, what we're looking forward to, to hearing that. So, and I, I think people, you know, we get green party folks on, you know, we kind of got a, a, you know, an already made notion of what to expect. And, and I think even the people who, you know, responded to me, put out the link on Facebook tonight, uh, had that reaction, which doesn't surprise me, you know, but that, and that's kind of a point I was making earlier tonight is that, you know, they want to make, people want to make such a knee jerk reaction uh, before they really, you know, delve in to look at some things, think, oh, my gosh, not jobs at all. When do you have any Green Party people on the show? It's like, you know, do you really listen to them? You know, they're, they, they're, those people are just sick and tired of the, the politics as usual. And if we had a multi-party system like Ireland has, let me tell you something. You can, you know, you'd have people that you could vote your conscience. There's not going to be a well vote for the lesser of the, you know, the two evils, because I voted for the person. And, and, and there's, those parties actually get people, you know, instead of just the D's and the R's. There's, you know, there's less chance of corruption because you actually have to make a coalition government to do something. You know, it's more representational for people to do that. I mean, you know, the, the, it's almost like a monopoly. That's why we call the, the, the Republican and, and Democrat, you know, two-party system a duopoly because it's pretty much a monopoly now. You know, you really don't have much of a choice. And now, as part with our uh, theme for tonight, is that the two parties want to limit our uh, our options even even further than they're already limited. So not only are we limited to two parties, now they want to limit it to the people. And of course, they'll say, well, this year you had 19 people to choose from. Really? I mean, come on. We've been watching this, you know, these things long enough to know that while there was 19 because people really thought, oh, my gosh, this is the year to beat Hillary Clinton because people hate her. Um, that's why you had so many people in the – so many people, you know, in the running because they thought, man, this is, you know, this is the year to beat, uh, you know, to, to be the president because people hate Hillary Clinton, you know. So, plus they thought she might get indicted. And that's really something. I know I'm jumping around, folks, but, you know, I'm kind of in a fluid thing going on. Um is that, and that's another thing I wanted to talk about tonight. Is I really want to start pushing, and I hope Trump uh, or whoever gets the nomination, let's hope it's Trump, or else it will be Hillary Clinton because he may get a third party, and and part of me wouldn't blame him. And so, I mean, we really need to get you know get pushed and have hopefully get people pushing to get Hillary Clinton indicted. I don't know if they're waiting for something. I don't know if they're you know what they're waiting for for something to happen. It's just that's you know that needs to happen or you know. I just can't imagine her being president. But anyway, as I said, we got to go ahead and unfortunately do our uh, closing statements. And so we'll uh, go ahead and bring it over to you, John, and then Kelly, and then I'll have to close things out. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think James Comey and the FBI investigators are supposedly 12 or thereabouts investigators still on the Hillary Clinton issue. So they're hopefully going to come to a resolve on that. And I, I heard a rumor that they're pressuring their people that's controlling them to go ahead with an indictment, but that's just rumor, so I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Because you know who controls Mr. President probably has a big say with um, uh, Ms. Loretta Lynch and Valerie Jarrett and all them people. Anyway, I want to um, pound home warning. Ted Cruz and John Kasich support RNC party insiders voter nullification election fraud scam. So anybody wow. who's... Wow. Is, is that an article you've seen that, uh, 
that's my headline. I made it up. Oh, okay. That's what I'm of it there, you But see, the thing of it is, you guys know I'm not a Trump, but at the same right. time, I am dead set against this corruption and scamming nonsense. And for them to say that just because um, nobody reaches 1237, that people that got less than Trump could be nominated, I'm like, give me a break. How does that make sense at all? If the guy that got the most is not close enough to it to be elected, then the people that got less, sure, are not close enough to the 1237 to be nominated. So I just keep wanting to say, anybody that supports Ted Cruz and John Kasich, Ted Cruz and John Kasich support the RNC's, you know, party insiders, voter nullification election fraud scam. They're stealing your intellectual property and your right to self-govern. And also, I was just curious, did you know that the Constitution Party had their national convention Saturday, the 16th of this month, April, and elected uh, Daryl Castle as their presidential candidate and Scott Bradley as their vice president? Did you know that? No. Yeah, well, I, I heard this. I just well, watched C-SPAN a lot, and I caught a part of it, and I was see, like... See, I never hardly ever watched C-SPAN. That's, that's one... Maybe I should start watching C-SPAN. I don't, I don't watch that enough. I probably should. It, it can be quite boring, but the thing of it is, is if you really sit and listen and you get to hear from... The, it, there's a lot of generalization stuff. They don't go into details, but every now and then they get some good stuff on there where you can actually pay attention and read between the lines. And if you do have access to the Internet to go do some other research to check stuff out, then you get to see how the scam, which is, man, these shows, you have so many different topics issued during your show that we don't get below the surface level on any of them. We're going to have to pick a topic and hang in there for a full show and just get it, beat it to death. Because there, there is so much more on all of these issues that we could dig deep into and try to help find an answer and a resolve to put our country back on stable ground that we're missing because we keep surface level, just scatters, what do they call it? Anyway, it's like shotgun BBs instead of getting to the point. But anyway, I better leave some room for you guys to say your goodbyes. And thank you for your hard yep, work. Unfortunately. And don't, don't let the... Don't let the guy that's leaving, these people that's leaving these messages to get you down because they're just like the rest of us. They're where they're at in life, and they're trying to figure out the way forward, too. Oh, no, not, not get me down. I'm just going to go forward. Go ahead, Kelly. we got a couple minutes. I'll have to close things out. Literally, probably about two. Well, let's see. I liked our guest tonight. Um, I like the way he communicated. Um, he... I'm trying to say something positive <clears throat> regarding somebody that I politically disagree with um, on some issues. He actually had an open heart towards several things, like you know, land use and township ideas, township governments. Um, the idea of differentiating uh, minimum wage for those who are trying to better themselves. He was actually pretty open on that stuff, and that was pretty encouraging. Um, he seems like a decent guy. I just, you know, he's got good intentions. He, I, he misled good intentions. Maybe that's the uh, misleading good intentions. I'm looking for a phrase to describe 
on some of the issues I, I disagree with. Um, good intentions misled. I, I'm, you know, God bless people for trying in this country to make a difference and make life better. Um, let's see, Donald Trump. We talked about him. Hey. We talked about Ryan. Well, yeah, tell you I, what, I, I hate I, to, uh, yeah, I hate to cut you short, darn it. <laughs> but literally, you know, I have to close things out. We got about about two minutes, unfortunately. Um, okay. Sorry, Kelly. Well, that's about it for me. <laughs> Love truck of time. Well, uh, I do appreciate everyone for coming on, and then definitely uh, check out the show uh, next week. Uh, well, I think it'll be uh, interesting as well uh, for Dennis Lambert, who is running for the U.S. Congress. So uh, check us out and see us next week. And we're all working on getting uh, Joel Stein on and definitely uh, Kelly. Let's try to get uh, him on as well. And I'm talking about Jim Condit Jr. I'd like to have him on uh, back on the show as well. So we'll follow the election uh, in 2016. And I will end it the night as I do every night. And that's by a song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. Take care. Good night, and we'll see you soon.